What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. And you have joined us for part two of mine and Julian Darius's deep dive into Watchmen. We, last week we covered the, uh, the film and the original graphic novel in a discussion. And this week we're going to cover the sequels. We first get into Doomsday Clock and then the HBO series. So, without further ado, let's hand over to me. Um, so you want to do Doomsday Clock or HBO yeah. first? Let, let's do. Let's do Doomsday Clock. Let's do Doomsday Clock first, because um, it, it's it's a Jeff Johns written book, twelve issues, started two years ago, uh, and has recently ended. And just as I said, spoilers. I've got them all here. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> we we will be spoiling the crap out of this, so just be aware. Um. <laughs> So the overall story really is that uh, Vite has been found out um, and nuclear war is on the way. Like they appear to have reverted back. And so he uses um, uh, Night Owl ship Archie uh, uh, to use some interdimensional technology to travel to the DC uh, main continuity universe in search of Dr. Manhattan in the hope that Dr. Manhattan can do something to basically eradicate, as we've said before, eradicate nuclear weapons. Um, he, he takes with him two new characters from the Watchmen universe uh, in Marionette and Mime, uh, like a couple that base themselves on uh, French sort of mime sort of characters and a new Rorschach. Um, and then once in the new universe, they start to interact with the DC characters, as you'd expect, sort of Superman, Batman, Joker, Lex Luthor, all the rest. Um, And eventually it sort of comes to a point of understanding that there is a meta universe with a sliding um, canon and a sliding origin that is all centered around Superman. Um, This doesn't save (laughs) the... Um, Watchmen universe, really. Um, and although some sort of... I'm just going to open issue 12, just to remind myself. Uh, issue, characters go back. Uh, it sort of ends with uh, Ozymandias sort of going back to... I'm, I'm, I'm Really, I'm trying to sort of not spoil DC. Basically, it, re, it retcons everything in the DC universe that started at DC 52, at the new 52, and return yeah. and returns um, the DC uh, sorry the Watchmen universe to a point, um, but the nuclear weapons have fallen, or at least a one has fallen, um, and the end of the book ends with um, John who took a child from um, Mime and Marionette 
and has raised him for a short time, returns him to Night Owl and Silk Spectre to be raised properly, and he is called Clark. Well, I mean, is there anything about this summary that does not sound like the biggest abortion you have ever heard? Well, it's one of those. That, I mean, what, I'll be honest with you. When this, when I, when I, the first, the first issue. So when it all starts, and it starts with a mystery. Um, I was, I was all in. I was like, oh, okay, this sounds like it's going to be cool. It's going to be. They're going to deal with this whole thing, and you know, there's clearly an idea behind this. And the more, yeah, the, the more the DC universe gets involved, the more I thought, what's this got to do with Watchmen? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like all of this, everything that happens in those twelve issues could have happened without anything to do with the Watchmen universe. Yes, they could have created, well, and they could have created a brand new character, some godlike character that has been, or even they could have retconned a previous character, like Mister Mixelplix or someone like that, and say, "Oh yeah, he's the one that's been messing with the continuity and done all these bits and pieces." <laughs> Well, I, I think like you, I I started it and I thought, you know, look, it's it's fine. Uh, I, I sort of made the first few issues. I just thought, you know, it's fine. Um, I, I do like that. Unlike the HBO series, it starts with the revelation that Rorschach's journals seen at the end of Watchmen hmm. were, in fact, revealed to the world and the world knows what fight has done. Um, that's smart. I like that. That's how I would continue it personally hbo just ignores that mm. all right so i do like that everything after that sounds horrible i mean the mime and marionette have to be two of the stupidest characters i have ever heard of in the history of the universe um the idea of like going to a locker and pulling out invisible weaponry that own that that in fact then fires it's kind of like are they crazy or not this is the kind of thing that jeff johns thinks is clever okay like it's an invisible weapon. Where did you get this stuff? Um, well, th- that, you know, that, like it's. it's I, I have to. Admit, I don't know. It's so no, dumb. No, no, no I, I agree with that because I think that was one of the first moments when I was like, "Oh, he's writing for the D- He's writing for the DC universe. Like mm-hmm. he's he's not writing for the Watchmen universe because the point of the Watchmen universe was yes, there was you know technology had advanced in different ways, and they made the point of the. Um, um, in fact, I'm going to quickly check. But in the first issue, they're not leaving. Like this isn't night 2019 uh, or 2020. Right. Like they are leaving. Um, from 1993, 1992. There you go. So they are leaving from 1992. So it's seven years, uh, six seven years after the events of Watchmen. Um, so they're leaving then. So yeah. It's acknowledged sort of in the book that because of Dr. Manhattan, there's been some you know, different developments of technology and stuff. But to have this thing of like invisible guns <laughs> seems so out of sync with what was going on in the Watchmen universe. Like Manhattan's the only one with true superpowers. Right. Um, so why is it that all of a sudden they've invented something that's never referenced you know, in that book? And it seems so out of place that I was like, look, I'm going to go with this. It's going to be a bit of an anachronism. It's out of place, but let's see how it rolls. But that was the first sign to me that this was a book for the DC universe, not for the Watchmen universe. Yeah, that's a very good call. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I had forgotten that they were in, in 92. 
the fact that they go forward in time and cross into another dimension, mm. um, you know, that's not good. I mean, and, and I went along with it because, you know, it's the first issue. This is the whole premise of the story, you know. But the idea that a few years after the original Watchmen, they have dimension hopping technology. Yeah, that's utterly absurd. And I and I think that gets into, you know, you were talking about technology. That gets into a problem that both of these continuations have, which is that Watchmen, the original, is so controlled. The mm. only thing that is, there are two points of, uh, divergence from our timeline um, that are major. One is that in the 1940s, there was a wave of costume superheroes kind of inspired by the pulps or whatever. Um, and they, they didn't have any powers, but they took to the street and they fought crime and they weren't really that important, but they made a big splash and, you know, uh, were weird. And then in the, then Dr. Manhattan you know, is the one person in the entire universe with superpowers. Uh, you know, he's got his own origin story, which is, you know, a little more scientific than most, but it, it's still just a superhero origin story. But nobody else has superpowers. So, yeah, you have electric cars. He's changed the timeline. Everything else is, has flown out of, of uh, you know, uh, flowed from that. But there's no dimension hopping technology. There's no invisible weaponry and, and the HBO series and Jeff John series both violate this basic, basic precept of Watchmen in a lot of ways. And I think that's the thing about this is we said about sort of tone and and the setting um, of the original book. And I think that's the problem is sort of, of, you know, I actually quite like some of the stuff Jeff Johns has done. I sort of, you know, I can sort of take and leave some of this stuff, but that, you know, it's almost like, I would say that you know, if you take the first book, say original Watchmen, if you were to take it as a as a noir sort of you know mystery novel predominantly, and then becomes more of a superhero storyline, okay, like you say, mm-hmm. there's a fixed universe, and they try to ground it as much as possible, um, and then sort of you know this, uh, you know, but it's a pastiche of it's a, you know it's a, it's a satire of. Um, you know those Charlton characters, but basically the the DC universe. That's what it's sort of trying to get at. Um, and I can accept that and say, okay, so there might be reasons that some things have happened, you know, like you say, because they provide explanations for the most things in Watchmen. So I'm like, okay, if you've now got dimension hopping technology, okay, let's explain that. Do is it because of something that Doctor Manhattan left behind? Is it, you know, there must be some sort of explanation. Um, and it is, it's no. that sort of thing of like, no, it's just sort of like it's comics. And we can do this now, <laughs> right? And, and so it's sort of it's like it's it's almost um, you know roll out. Let's just you know okay, well I accept that. Let's roll out to the next thing. Um, and so you have to accept those things. But even even the when you find the justification for um, uh, uh, Vite bringing Mime and Marionette with him um, to to the DC universe. Because again, look, it's a mystery as to why he's bringing them. He talks about um, bringing in their child or bringing, bringing them because they have a connection with, um, with Dr. Manhattan. Um, But when it's finally explained, it feels so weak and sort of unjustified. Um, 
and I, I, I again I can sort of see why he's trying to do it. Um, um, the eventual reason that's given for that, um, you know, Veidt sees it that um, for some reason uh, Doctor Manhattan has a personal uh, connection to uh, Marinette, the female. Uh, it's, it's, it's a woman. Uh, to her for some reason because she was pregnant when he could have just obliterated her um and so it's this sort of thing he sees that you know uh, manhattan should or could still have a connection to humanity um but what you find out is he sort of does but it's different is that the child that she eventually had was taken from her when it was born and was actually given to um i can never remember their bloody names but uh basically Silk Spectre and Night Owl for them to raise. So it gave them joy. And it was almost like him giving something back to Silk Spectre after causing her pain in the first book. Whilst I sort of like that side of it, that justification for them being involved in the whole thing felt really weak. <laughs> it, it was more a case of like, I've thought of these really cool characters and I want to include them. And I think this is how I'm going to do it. Um, rather than them having any sort of like agency within the story. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and in fact, one of the reasons why I started souring on the series after thinking like, well, uh, you know, I'm along for the ride for the first few issues, you know, it's fine, uh, was the focus on Mime and Marionette, where they just get long sequences. And I think yeah, Jeff Johns just likes them and wants to put more of them in, but they have no real connection to the Watchmen universe. They're from that universe, but they're not a commentary on it. No. And as you say, there's this mystery with the baby, you know, which turns out to be, you know, a twist. Yeah. One of the many, 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 many twists of the final issue, uh, all of which are unsatisfying. Um, and, you know, in, in the same way, one of the one of the things that I liked the most about the series was the... Superman uh, confrontation in Moscow where he sort mm. of is set up to look bad. And I like the idea of uh, the conspiracy theory that American America, the American government has somehow created its superheroes and that helps to explain why so many superheroes are American. With the caveat that I've also, as somebody who you know, is now middle-aged has seen this same problem addressed by DC over the course of my entire lifetime. Mm. I mean, I remember planet DC. I remember, you know, a million times they tried to address this. I remember 52 with, you know, the, the Chinese group and, and all of these things and rocket red and, you know, DC has tried to address the same problem over and over again. So this is not the first time. Um, but I like the idea of sort of the world turning against Superman and stuff like that. And I thought that was probably the strongest issue of the series, mm. certainly certainly up there. But it had nothing to do with the Watchmen characters. No, it's really just a DC series, exactly. And that's what. So when this was billed as sort of like the, the you know a, a clash between um, or you know the, the two amalgamation of the two universes, I was you know it sounds exciting. Oh my god, this could be amazing. But it never really comes to fruition. It never really goes that way because. You know, you, like you say, uh, you they have to use newly created characters um, to to bring from the Watchmen universe. You know, the only one really is is Vite and and eventually Manhattan. Um, it, it, you know, into that conflict or into that into the mystery. So it's a snippet of that universe. 
So it's not really a. It's, it's got. It's do. It never feels like it should be a consequence of the of the, the other book. It feels like say he's is he, he has a story. He has a crisis story. This you know this is another one like Final Crisis or Infinite Crisis or you know go back. This is a crisis. He had a crisis level event story in mind, and then it sort of became this. That's you know instead of it being a Watchmen story that became this, it's a DC Universe story that became this. You know, or we can tack it. We can mm-hmm. tack it on to, um, because even the even the issues that they're resolving in the DC universe, like they've got nothing to do with the, with the Watchmen universe, um, and the final resolution of the book doesn't even save the Watchmen universe. Like the bomb, the bomb right. that's falling that Manhattan uh, that that Vi escapes from at the start of the book still falls. It still happens, like you know. So that universe is still going to have to go through all that kind of stuff. And that, but you know, now he's at the end of the book. Now he's given it potentially. I think you're supposed to assume a superpowered being, maybe, um, which comes into the thing that also comes up in the uh, HBO series: the ability to transfer his powers. Um, but the fact is, like the whole book, it, you know, the, you get to the point of. Um, the the Superman uh, what they call the Superman theory don't they but the government's creating these 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 superhuman beings and then you find out that actually it's partially true and you sort of go oh okay right fine (laughs) I'll accept that but it never feels like a massive revelation it's sort of like oh okay because they use um, Firestorm to do it and I'm like okay I'm, right. I'm, it just it, it, throughout that bit, I was like, "Oh, okay." I'm just shrugging my shoulders. I'm like, yeah. Um, and then this whole thing of like the, well, the meta universe, just. Mm. God, yeah. I mean, okay. So, so through so much of the series, they set up. Okay, there's going to be a conflict between Doctor Manhattan and Superman, right? That's issue issue that's coming in the future, mm. right? It happens in number twelve, but. I feel like for eight issues, we're waiting for that to happen. Mm. And we're watching stuff unfold in the DC universe. Um, and, and I want to get to the final issue in more detail, but um, this revelation that you mentioned of the meta universe of like, I mean, there's this stuff going on with Dr. Manhattan and a, and a sign and a film star. Mm. Okay. Who's the star of this detective film. What? That's not important to the plot at all. No. That's just there so that you have like, uh, so that Doomsday Clock can have an equivalent of the Black Freighter comic yeah. stuff. And now it's a, a movie. So, aha, haha, you know, that's mildly clever. But none of that is important. None of that, you know, I mean, I, I liked it okay, but it's not connected to anything else. So we kind of like wade through that. We wade through this mime and marionette garbage. We get through this, you know, stuff, as you say, with... Uh, Superman and the Superman theory and all of this. And it's kind of not, it's supposed to be mostly not true Mm. and mostly a setup, but actually partly true. So you kind of have your cake and eat it too. And that's really just there to set up future issues. And then you get to this absurd thing, right? This whole meta thing that kind of attempts to take the sliding scale, the sliding timeline of superhero stories Mm. which is the idea that like you know all of the dc and marvel titles 
within a year, probably, you know, a month passes for those characters. Not all, you know, it's not really progressing in real time. So the end result of this is after a decade, really only a couple of years have passed. It depends on the title. It's stupid because like, you know, for the Fantastic Four, you know, a, you know, a couple months have passed, but for an ancillary character, watch them age in real time, yeah. right? But, you know, but part of the problem of this is like, and you know, you have like the origin of Fantastic Four. I mean, all of the Marvel origins are clearly 1960s Cold War origins. Those have all been retconned. Hmm. So like, it's not Vietnam, it's Iraq. And pretty soon that's going to be Afghanistan or something else. So basically this theory is in an attempt to, in a, in a, in a very sort of postmodern meta way, insert that into the narrative, take sort of um, subtext and make it context. And furthermore, we find out that all of these changes to the timeline are centered around Superman, which, you know, first of all, has not always been, and is not today DC's most popular mm-hmm. or or important character. Um, and secondly, you know, the idea that the universe is aware of the fact that the universe is cosmically aware of the fact that Superman is the most important guy in this universe. Everybody else's stories are just, you know, side effects of Superman because the universe knows he's the most important. You know, I mean, I can't even imagine how dumb this is. Like, you know, imagine any other publisher saying like, you know what? Uh, we found out that Exo Man of War is the person that the universe cares about. And, you know, everybody else is just kind of in Exo Man of War story. Would we accept, would that seem smart to you? No, uh, it was, you know, it's, the, it's exactly what I felt. It was, it's, um... It's well for just the Superman problem, isn't it? It's that it's the Superman theory of the, all this is, I you know, the, I don't know if it's supposed to be ironic or not, but they call it the Superman theory because it's the sort of since Superman came along in, and then they don't really have say a year because then they sort of they adjust the years throughout um, Manhattan as he sort of looks at the meta universe. Is this thing of sort of like oh yeah ever since his appearance there's been all these other meta humans have arrived you know you've got all these other superheroes and all these superpowers so they must be being created by governments um, following the the appearance of Superman. But then the whole point at the end of the book is that well there actually is a Superman theory because actually it's what we refer to as a snowplow effect, isn't it? It's like yeah well there wasn't originally there was just Superman. And then there was some more, and then there was a few more, and then there was a few more. Unfortunately, because that was almost a hundred years ago, just it was over eighty years ago now. We're now looking at this snowball effect of like, well, Superman has to make, remain in his thirties. So, all right, so he appeared in the sort of like whatever point, and then all these others appeared out of nowhere because we've been creating them for eighty years, but we've only got thirty years to fill. Or actually, we've got less than that because he's been active for five years, ten years. So all these superheroes, are, yeah. So it's like, but it's almost like by acknowledging it, by acknowledging that you're actually creating the problem that no one as a comic reader gives a shit about, right? Because <laughs> we just sort of accept it and go, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, it, it's bizarre. It's kind of like a incredibly dumb version of like uh, Grant Morrison's final Animal Man, Animal Man issue, right? Where yes. You know, the idea is sort of to acknowledge, yeah, these are comics, 
right? And obviously these these two big continuing superhero universes have this sliding timescale problem. Um, so acknowledging it in the comic is clever, right? Okay, fine. But it doesn't work. And having the universe adapt around Superman is, you know, like you can see how in a pitch meeting that sounds kind of clever, but you'd think like a few questions follow like okay how would this be implemented how what are the mechanics of this clearly nobody asks those questions what's good they don't care that's the thing about i would say about both these it's like that's not the question it's it's because they they say why why do they ever ask about the logistics because they don't care because they've gone that's perfect jeff you nail it go off and do your thing um you know and sort of what Dan Deere or whoever has sort of probably given it a skim but said no look we know we trust jeff johns he'll do his thing but I think the, the, the thing is, it, it felt like second rate. It felt like second rate Grant Morrison, the, yeah. the end result. Um, and like I said, we will go back. And there are things I really actually, there are moments in this book I really enjoy throughout in every issue. There was always something. But that end result felt like um, second rate Grant Morrison, where they've sort of acknowledged this whole di- the idea of the ability to change. In fact, they actually acknowledge in, in the book themselves, they provide their own pr- a further problem because they talk about the fact that although the Superman, it's actually the, the, the instigating incident throughout it all is the moving of um, Alan Scott's Green Lantern. Yeah. You know, so it's like, okay. So it wasn't Superman then it's actually the moving of Alan's. So is it the arrival of Superman or the instigation? Cause that removed the justice society and so, you know, so it's, it's sort of, it seems a little confused at times because I'm like, okay, so that means there's no Justice Society. So the Justice League is the first iteration of a superhero team. Um, but even in that, you know, there are characters that that fit between the two and have a legacy across the, the two and all this other stuff. And it sort of, it, it never felt like he, it was all fully thought out, as in, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to go to that level of detail. Um, but the other thing is, you, you we, it almost, it, they are by doing this, you are also discounting everything that's the sort of there are other things that have gone before. So they had like multiversity, mm-hmm. which is what sort of like gave us the 52, you know, what detail what's in the 52 universes. And it's almost like, you know, it was a Grant Morrison sort of like pet project. It was something you wanted to do. It's, I actually quite enjoy a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's bits in it that acknowledge that they are, as you said, a comic book. Mm hmm. Like the char- there are characters in that in that book that know they are a comic book character, um, and actually I don't know if you've been reading it, but in his recent like Green Lantern um, series, mm-hmm. there's a moment where Hal Jordan conf- uh, has a confrontation with Superman, and they're talking, and sort of uh, Superman's giving it his spiel, and, and Hal actually says like, "Look, do, do you not notice that the break between our word things? Yeah, you know." How how we don't move properly, and so and Superman's like, what? No, I don't. I don't. I don't be talking about hell. Um, and so, so Grant Morrison's still drip feeding this notion in that actually, like, what we are what we are viewing is a two D universe. Like this thing exists, and it's sort of like you know, it's real and it has an almost an, a knowledge of itself. But then Jeff Johns is like, no, 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 it's a it is a real universe, but it's a sliding universe, and it's all centered around Superman. And it's sort of like DC. You need to pick a yeah. fucking lane <laughs> yeah absolutely Stick to it well and how about uh um, having somebody edit this stuff um 
you know, I mean, part of the problem is, I mean, you you pointed out already that the climax of Doomsday Clock sort of like is another yet another reboot, um, and essentially sort of you know is an attempt to oh god, I mean, this I can't believe I'm about to say this. Like Doomsday Clock is intended to wrap up the story that began with the New Fifty Two. Well, the New mm. Fifty Two was an abortion. It was, mm. you know, it was a big sales boost, but ever since New 52, I can count on one hand the number of readable DC comics that have been published, and I am a lifetime DC reader. Um, also, the continuity has been terrible, and it is clear when they launched mm. the New 52, they had no idea what they were doing. You know, they were just lying about long-term plans. There's tons of contradictions between the various series, right? They bring back the old guys, you know, this is just a mess. And the idea that somehow, well, you know, there's another sort of like soft reboot is a solution to anything uh, just angers me. Well, I think that the other problem is when that doomsday clock was, was originally announced, um, they made it quite clear. And there were press releases that said there will be things in this book that, um, you know, you won't have glimpsed yet because they they're going to happen a year from. This is a twelve issue series that is going to happen a year from now. So you haven't heard about the Superman theory yet. You haven't heard about why Gotham has turned against Batman. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, well, that's that's a you know a little bit of a glimpse into the future. Then let's see how you get how they get there. I don't think they ever did. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It was so even in their own sort of straightforward continuity, the fact that this took so long to come out is almost sort of like taking itself out of continuity. Yes. Right. And, so it, you know, there's all these, there are only a few references to it in the mainstream stuff. You remember there's this whole stupid crossover, the button, right? Like Batman finds a, mm. a, a Watchman button in his cave. You know, oh, it's so fascinating. He found a button. You know, how how was that important to anything? And then years later, we get the Doomsday Clock and it doesn't wind up being important to anything except there's this kind of soft reboot. And within the DC universe, the thing that this is important for is besides the kind of like soft reboot, stupid meta thing with Superman is, I mean, I cannot believe how, how stupid this is in the final fight. Right. I mean, like the conflict between Superman and Dr. Manhattan should be a conflict between the prototypical uh, superpowered superhero and the mm. sort of ultimate deconstructionist, uh, sort of smart, realistic uh, version of the superpowered superhero, right? That's what those two mm. characters are. Instead, it becomes this ridiculous uh, fight with a, that's just like every other uh, climax to an event comic where a million superheroes are fighting. And, you know, Jeff Johns has time altered so that the Justice Society and the Legion of Superheroes show up and join the fight. First of all, Dr. Manhattan can remake molecules. He can undo all of these people in a second. You know, this is not an asset to the fight, but of course it's presented as if it is. And it reminded me so much of Blackest Night, which is certainly one of the worst crossovers ever conceived of or published, where at the end, you know, you just say, oh, there's these white lanterns, which, you know, were living inside Earth, you know, because Earth is so important to the universe, just like Superman is apparently so important to the entire universe. They're going to bring back from the dead 
this handful of characters who I have personally selected as wanting to be alive again. No other significance. No, there's no pattern by which these, you know, people were brought back. But we're going to bring mm-hmm. them back and, in, you know, bring them back and bring them back into DC continuity. Makes no sense within the narrative. Absolutely, you know, serves no point whatsoever, except I want these people back. So why why is the Legion important? Why is uh, uh, the Justice Society important? They're not. They make no. It makes no sense that you would choose to bring those back. It makes no sense that they would be important to the fight. And the only justification for any of that that we ever get, and, and this is again mind-bogglingly dull, dumb, is okay. that the sliding scale. I mean, there's this sequence which is mildly clever, where you kind of get the uh, future DC crossovers mentioned, right? Um, including a DC Marvel crossover. And it's like, we all know, none of this is going to happen, right? You couldn't even manage the button in this event. This is just having a bit of fun. But that somehow these reboots are going to keep happening with Superman at the center of it until the the sliding timeline reaches the year 3000 and the Legion of Superheroes at which point the DC universe somehow reaches its apotheosis. Except the Legion of Superheroes was always a thousand years in the future. So the sliding timeline affected the Legion of Superheroes too. So like this only makes sense within like your own weird superhero universe. And even that isn't consistent with anything we've ever seen in your own weird superhero universe. What is going on? I'm sorry to rant, but... Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, the point of this is to have that confrontation, but considering that Manhattan apparently has been dabbling in the DC universe for whatever point, he seems incredibly passive at the end. Um, they both want to paint him as sort of like the Watcher, but then also as sort of taking a hand in adjusting things and sort of like experiment. But... Again, it comes down to the thing of like pick a lane. Like, if he's going to be a character, like, is he going to be a watcher or is he going to be, um, you know, an actual antagonist, for want of a better phrase, because he's, he's, he's dabbling in the universe? They don't seem to know what they want him to be. Um, uh, and that sort of seems to make him almost like less important, if I'm honest. Mm hmm. Um, and well, like yeah, you so said, they, he he doesn't even need to be in the story. No, he's inconsequential because it could have been anything. Like, I I think actually this story would have been more interesting if they. I mean, I, I don't know about introducing a whole new character to to wrap it up, but uh, it feels forced for it to be Doctor Man- Manhattan. I think it would have been better to have someone like Mister Mixelflix or someone like that that has been around for all this time. Is like eventually sort of found that they did have the ability to do these things. I don't know. Um. But this is the thing. So it comes back to this thing of like the whole, the overarching, the big story, um, you know, with it all being wrapped up in this thing in in, in issue 12. It feels um, like the reboot that they're resetting the universe, but no one else in the DC universe is, or in the DC titles is paying any attention to it. So they're all like, well, we're carrying on with our stories. Like Bendis is obviously doing doing his own thing as Superman and. Tom King's wrapped up on on Batman, and they're all like, you know, yeah, you carry on, Jeff. It's, it's been fine. It's been fun. We're we're not going to do anything with it. Um, 
And so not only is it not only is this book, which has been touted to sort of again one of those things of like nothing will be the same again, is it completely inconsequential? Um, it, it 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 actually feels inconsequential in its own book because mm-hmm. of of like you say of sort of bringing those characters back. You know like, that should be a major major thing DC like DC wide, but it's just not. Um, yeah, I mean you get what? to write a sequel to Watchmen. Are you kidding me? How many writers? I mean, granted, it, it's an intimidating project, right? But you mm. think, you know, and, and I think Gary Frank does a good job. Uh, you know, I, I like him as an artist, but you would think like, oh, wow, I get to do a sequel to, to, to Watchmen. And the choice was made to bring them into the DC universe, or at least a few characters. And we were promised that that was done for a reason. It was all leading toward something that informed both the DC universe and the Watchmen characters. And the end result was something that did not inform the Watchmen characters at all. And really the destruction of the Watchmen, uh, the Watchmen uh, sort of apocalypse that happened just reminds Mm. me of Squadron Supreme where it's like, okay, Mm. yeah, they're off in their own little universe. You know, let's just destroy it because nobody cares. Well, again, they did the same thing with in Marvel with the Ultimate Universe. You know, it was fine. It was Mm -hmm. a little experiment. It brought us Mars Morales and some other things. But for all intents and purposes, gone. Doesn't matter. Right. Um, And so it's it's in. But the thing is, a lot of comic readers are just used to that. So you know, um, it's funny. I mean, you know, the the thing that made me laugh is when um, uh, I got uh, issue twelve through in the uh, thing. I got it from Forbidden Planet. so when it comes through, it comes through, and I obviously get the email, say it's been sent, and I also get an advertisement for the latest Marvel thing. And the latest Marvel thing is this new end-of-year murder mystery thing they're setting up. Like Someone's been murdered, someone's a suspect, and it's going to change the the Marvel universe forever. And I was like, oh, it's that cycle, isn't it, of like, we're just back on the train. You know, I don't care. This This book hasn't commented on anything it hasn't addressed mm-hmm. anything within comics it's not comics commenting on comics other than say yeah we've got a sliding you know we've got a sliding timeline which but you're not doing anything with it <laughs> you know you're not you're not bringing it like watchmen as we said sort of alan moore brought it to its inevitable conclusion by saying these characters are going to progress and they're going to age and they're going to get to they're going to have politics and an idea with right. this it was just like well, no, we've got to address the fact that there's been these crises events. or In fact, it doesn't even address the crisis events. It ignores those all t- entirely and sort of says there's a sliding timeline and things may adjust and change uh, to accommodate you know, that. And it's like, oh, well, okay, I knew that. <laughs> Dr. Manhattan kind of in those page after page after page of him narrating stuff about the DC Universe, he does recall those, those crises. But I mean, it's it's so incoherent. I mean, but you said it makes no commentary on anything. It just kind of propels the universe forward. I would slightly disagree with that and say that in the conclusion, the commentary that it wants to make is that Dr. Manhattan, who, remember, is the pinnacle of like the realistic superhero, the inevitable evolution of a character like Superman, that if you don't have a sliding timeline, right? will become more and more alien, no longer identify with humans, go out into space and make some life for himself, right? Mm. He encounters Superman and he's like, you know what? Hope is the answer. 
I have seen in Superman a beacon of hope. And, yeah. you know, now I see the universe is bound together by hope and love. And I think, oh, my, I mean, a, a more violent reaction to Watchmen, I can't imagine. And also, are you five? Is this My Little Pony? Because that's cool this, in My Little Pony. Yeah. It's this thing, this, I, this is actually going to come out when we talk about the HBO series as well. But um, it's one of those things I hate. I absolutely detest in in um, any story, um, in any narrative where the intangible becomes the answer. You know, this idea. So mm-hmm. another, another example, the ones that I've, I, again, I almost threw the book out of the window when I first <laughs> read it. And I continued through the rest of the series is the first Harry Potter book in which uh, Harry Potter defeats Voldemort at the end and, and he's attached himself to one of the professors, I can't remember which one now, but he beats him because he has been protected by some form of magic. And when he says to, he says to Dumbledore, he says, well, what is that? He says, oh, it's a mother's love. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's oh, sake. Yeah. Like, that's, that's just yeah. utter shit. I hate that kind of thing because it's so intangible and so sort of like... I'm not even gonna say hippie-ish. It's just it's just garbage because it doesn't have a basis in anything, um, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with this and this idea of hope. But like, if why would Man- Manhattan care about hope? Because he's he would just be a comment of like, hmm, well, society is bound by hope. This is fascinating. Maybe I should take hope away and see what happens. <laughs> like, that surely yeah. that would be actually if I if I take Superman out of the picture, like actually a better story. You know, he says he he moved the the um. Alan Scott's um, lantern six inches out of reach. That's interesting. Okay, fine. Well, what if he went into space and just adjusted the trajectory of Superman's rocket six inches? Right. right. Then, it misses, then, it, then it misses Earth completely. <laughs> well, I mean, I, mean, I also think, you know, this. you're so right about and, and Jeff Johns has done this before. I mean, this is the Green Lantern stuff is filled with this nonsense. Just mm. absolute nonsense, vomit-inducing stuff. Um, this thing about hope, do you mean to tell me there's no hope in the Watchmen universe? And again, I know it's popular to trash the 1980s, you know, dark revisionism, but Watchmen has plenty of hope in it. All Dr. Manhattan needed to see was humanity rebuild after New York. There's plenty of hope in that. There's, you know, hope in, in Dryberg moving on with his life. There's a million instances of hope. He could be in Vietnam and see a crazy soldier going like, you know, we're going to win this war and I'm going to kill them. Yeah. And and been like, oh, he's got so much hope. I'm inspired yeah. by that. But it's always Superman. It's always Green Lantern. It's always the main character that it's like, golly gee willikers, I never encountered hope in my life. But now that I saw it in you, Superman. Well, this is the other thing I say about with, with Manhattan. You know, this ability he has to see his own timeline. So he he doesn't experience in the same way that we do. So he experiences it all, you know. And they acknowledge it in the book. So there's one point where they're on Mars and he sort of he has a fight with um with with Guy Gardner. And then he says something. He says, "Oh sorry, I was out of time. You know, it that'll make sense in 6 minutes or whatever." Um and you're like, "Okay, so he still has that ability to see his own timeline." Mm-hmm. Yet yet, you know, he has an arc of this thing of sort of saying, oh yeah, so I, I now see there's hope, and I now see there's an, under- I now see there's a, there's, you know, like you say, there's a there's a reason for this, and we have to take these actions. And you're like, well, he, but he would have known that, right, before, <laughs> right. In fact, yeah. in fact, he would have known that 
when he first moved um, the 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 Green Lantern on the you know in the forties, like it's it's things like that. You think like, okay, well, J- J- John knows this. Like Manhattan knows these things because he sees them. Like they have to happen. I understand they have to happen for him to be able to see what for him to see them. Um, but like you say, so for him to be, for it, it almost feels like it's a surprise. I'm going to go back to the issue again, but. It's it, you know it's sort of like oh I see I see the answer now and you're like well no like, mm-hmm. you should be like I now understand why the answer is this like, I don't see it. I've always seen it but now seeing you here I understand why it's the answer it just, they don't even seem to get the concept of their own character <laughs> um, well yeah just, you know that and that's the point it's um, um, in fact, I'm looking at it now. There's a moment, so the final confrontation between this, so Superman actually saves uh, Manhattan and says, why would you defend me? And then he sort of says, you know, who, and it goes through the bits, and he says, like, who is she? Because all the photos have been turning up. And Manhattan says, she? With a question mark. And it shows that you've been creating those photos up and down your timeline. Um, and it's almost like, well... Again, like none of these conversations should be revolutionary or revel, you know, revelatory to to um, Doctor Manhattan. Doctor Manhattan, no, right? Um, He's like, oh yeah, I am doing that. I never noticed, right? Yeah. Uh, well, the other thing is just the way that that fight is staged. There's the page of sort of Doctor Manhattan in, in the middle of the page. He, you know, it's it's a well done panel of just sort of him mm-hmm. with a serene view on his face and. The setup is that he is willing to accept whatever happens and he thinks Superman mm. is probably going to kill him and that's fine. And so you have his sort of serene face and then you have Superman throwing a punch and he looks absolutely enraged, you know, eyes of fire and he's throwing mm. a punch. And then you flip the page and he has intentionally missed because what he's doing is he's actually punching somebody else who, yeah. you know is apparently threatening Dr. Manhattan as if Dr. Manhattan were going to be hurt anyway. Um, So why, you know, for, and then that's what triggers what you were pointing out of Dr. Manhattan saying, you saved me. Wow. Golly gee, there's hope in the universe. Okay. Why does Superman look so enraged? And why does, you know, why is his trajectory exactly at Dr. Manhattan's face? Yeah. And, you know, and he's not, Dr. Manhattan isn't being menaced by, I mean, just the way that it's staged on the page is incompetent. It's this, but this is, I don't, the thing is, I don't blame Gary Frank for this. I mean, I think this is Jeff Jones, yeah. I think. But again, it comes to this point of, of, of Manhattan. Like, you know, it's, they, they've actually got, weirdly, they have a countdown to when he thinks, like, either mm-hmm. he destroys the universe or Superman destroys him. And they actually have got there's a panel just before this. it says twelve seconds, and they have someone to talk, and then Superman's throwing a punch. And Manhattan, the whole point of Doctor Manhattan at one point is that he is the son of a watchmaker. Okay, so time is incredibly important to him. It's both incredibly important and irrelevant. It's one of those, you know, that's the the dichotomy. Right. But he, we sat there going, I've got six seconds left. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is interesting. Superman's about to throw the punch, but there are six seconds left, or like even more. And so they have this whole conversation, and he like, so surely he'd be like, I mean, that's the next two pages apparently take twelve seconds, <laughs> right? Because um, he would know exactly when like his his existence stopped being. It, it it feels, 
you know, like again, they introduce these points and then they don't stick to them, or they're trying to create the tension. And I get that it's a story, and it's the, it, but it, yeah, it doesn't feel like it belongs being a. It doesn't have any value as a Watchmen story, right. is what I'm saying. Absolutely, um, and and I think it actually that is dead on and I think it actually makes devalues the DC universe. Um, you know, I'm looking at issue 12 now at the double page spread where, you know, the justice society and the Legion of superheroes show up and I guess mm. somehow help. I, I, you know, and we're supposed to be in religious awe of that double page spread. Like it is chock full of characters and, and look, I grew up with these characters if anyone should be affected them by them, it's me. And they look so absurd next to Dr. Manhattan. Like, you know, injecting they you Dr. Manhattan might as well have gone into the universe of Looney Tunes. Mm. What you have done with this crossover is actually show us that the DC universe makes less sense than Looney Tunes, and we're supposed to just be excited by costume characters appearing for no reason whatsoever, not doing anything important, but getting their cool shot, their cool moment in the sun or, you know, whatever it is that they do. We're just supposed to like it. And the DC universe winds up feeling utterly, you know, unrealistic and absurd and uninteresting. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It's it's a book that, the, the, the thing about Watchmen, as we've said, is that it, it introduced a new status quo. Whatever happened, like it was inevitable. Like it, it introduces a new status quo. Um, Vite is successful, and the world has changed. And because of that, Manhattan says, right, "Well, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be. There's no point staying anymore. I'm going to move on." Right. Which is, which is interesting. What this does, this book is saying, we're actually going to bring all the pieces back on the board. And we're going to return back to a previous status quo because we tried to make changes and it didn't really work. So we're bringing <laughs> them back. Right. And in order to do that, we needed these other characters. And like, no, you didn't. You didn't need those other characters. Like, this could have been done in, in any number of other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, yeah. Just, as a, just to wrap up, I mean, one of the points that you made about the original Watchmen is that what makes it so great is that it has an end. You know, mm. there might be another chapter after that, you know, you know, I, I, I'm fine with uh, nothing ever ends and seeing, you know, the world react to, to Rorschach's journal, seeing, you know, we actually in the before Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan do actually see a little bit of Dr. Manhattan in space creating life and whatnot. I mean, I'm fine with Dr. Manhattan's adventures in space. You know, I mean, more and Gibbons, we're going to do a Minuteman comic. I mean, mm. I, I'm not I don't object to there being sequels or prequels i'm not and I'm, at this point after snyder and everything else neither one of us are a purist right um no. but your point about the original watchman is that it lets stuff progress and comes to a point and here the entire point is regression it's mm. you know the new 52 made a bunch of mistakes let's just undo selectively what we want so that there absolutely can never be any progression Here's a new Justice Society. It'll be just slightly different from the one you knew to make it interesting until the next reboot. Well, I think that's the point. If you were to take the um, the name of this reboot, Rebirth, and you said regression, it's not new birth, is it? It's rebirth. Mm-hmm. 
Like, mm-hmm. We are rebirthing the universe that existed before. We are fixing what we think we broke. That's it's it is literally rebirth. Like we are rebirthing with old characters, and again, I've got no problem with that because there are characters I like, and you know I'm mm-hmm. glad they're around. But I I don't take comics seriously enough in the, in this degree that like a, a sliding universe or an expansive universe really bothers me that much. Is that thing of like it's almost like the um, it's the MacGuffin or the sort of like the the whatever you've got to get. It's the gimme you've got to give to comics. You know what I mean? If you're going to enjoy mm-hmm. this this a comic universe, a superhero universe, it's almost like you've got to accept that. All right, this is just the way it is because this is how these things. This is how this medium works. If you can't accept that, then you you can't work with this this medium. That's just that's just how it is. If you keep trying to fix it, all you're doing is the majority of comic readers don't care, and all you're doing is highlighting a problem that no one has a problem with. <laughs> right. And and what why does this why does this belong in a Doctor Manhattan story? Exactly, it, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. They just couldn't think of a better way of using it. They wanted to use these characters. They were desperate to use these characters to keep them out of Alan Moore's hands, and that uh, this is the only way they could think of doing it. I'm going to counter all this though by saying again, one of the things we sort of talked about that I liked about the original and I actually quite like about this is there are a series of smaller characters that I like their stories. So this new Rorschach is his story. I actually kind of like, mm-hmm. um, it turns out that he is the son that you sort of see uh, bits and pieces of, but he's the son of the psychiatrist that spent time with um, Rorschach in, in the original. Um, and so you would be like, well, why is he dressed as Rorschach and all this other stuff? And he is very good. And he's clearly broken. You find out he was impacted, obviously, by the psychic blast from the squid. Um, and so he's been spent a number of time in institutions. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like, when you find out that the reason he has taken on the Rorschach persona is because he was given a file which, by um, the, the Mothman, who is obviously the one who it's highly mentioned in the, the original book. Oh, he's up in a mentalist institution. He was one of the original Minutemen, and uh, mm-hmm. I love that. I think that's a great touch. But when you find out that the reason is like to, in order to protect him from seeing his dad as a failure, like he took pages out of the file, and he just he read it then as a success, and that actually he was his dad was on the verge of you know, helping Rorschach and that they were friends and all this other stuff. And so he takes on that, that persona to sort of almost as a, as in honor in a weird kind of way. But I like that character. That character has got a good arc. And actually, if that was kept in the, if they kept that in the Watchmen universe, Uh I would have followed that story. And I think that was actually, that's actually an interesting story to take as someone who has to live through the impact and the, you know, who was there survived the, 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 you know the the event was hit with the psychic blast here's their story and it's almost like a legacy character but then mm-hmm. the inevitability of that as we've, we sort of find in this is that actually they find the rest of the pages and it's that then the tragic tragic moment of actually knowing the truth like the fact that their legacy has been a lie like that in itself could have been an interesting story should have mm-hmm. been done in the watchmen universe on its own Right. I mean, I can see that as a as a really good, uh, you know, long one shot or something. You know, I would I would yeah. love that. And you could do the post Watchmen thing, kind of like uh, the Golden Age of uh, Miracle Man, where mm. you know, you know, you come in and you just have stories, kind of like exploring what this is like now. I agree. Mm. I utterly with what you're saying. 
and I think there are glimpses of that throughout the books. Whenever it flashes back, because I like the, I liked, I, I quite like the the Mothman story. I quite liked. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, they do a flashback to uh, 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 like a, a weirdly sort of considering to do the HBO series, a black sort of um, hangman um, like sort of a hero that goes up against clan members and stuff. Um, I think that was quite an interesting sort of like touch and you get these other little characters I'm like oh that's quite interesting that's an interesting little take that's an interesting thing but then like I, I'm more interested in those than I am the big the big right. story because they just don't Superman. fit together yeah because they don't fit together like again if you took them apart and had that Superman the Superman theory story and eventually right. have it you could have it reach the same conclusion i don't care like have it but not with dr manhattan with some of the interdimensional inter you know meta um hero i don't care who or villain i don't care who but that story in itself could have been fine and that should have been told there and then like you said have like a post watchmen anthology or something that could address Mm -hmm. all these different bits and pieces i think would have been a lot more interesting yeah i agree a hundred percent and you know i'm not i like the idea of the superman theory I like the idea of, you know, the post-Watchmen, you know, uh, anthology sort of thing. Um, I don't even have a problem with the the meta thing and, and Superman if it's handled right. Um, and I get that sort of Dr. Manhattan has been behind the scenes altering the DC universe. And that's kind of, mm. I guess, part of the point of the button. I still don't, for the life of me, understand why mm-hmm. he starts to do that. Um but, you know, all of these things are not necessarily intrinsic. These are not intrinsically bad stories, mm. but they're not handled well and they don't belong all together. No, I agree. So I, I will admit as, a, as an overall 12 issue stories, it's OK. I think the art is fantastic. I always mm-hmm. I always really, really enjoy Gary Frank. Um, but it just yeah, it just felt. Like two stories have been slammed together for the sake of selling a story, and and that is sad, really, to me. Okay, so uh, so we've covered Doomsday Clock, and uh, we've made our feelings quite clear about that, I think. Um, so let's move on then to talk about the HBO uh, Watchmen sequel as well. So this obviously is played up as a completely direct sequel to uh, the Watchmen graphic novel. It's set in present day, or thereabouts, and uh, the story is that at some point there were some events in Tulsa uh, that have led to police officers wearing masks uh, and taking on sort of like vigilante identities, but vigilantes are still uh, outlawed, so they're sort of sanctioned vigilantes, and we meet um, Night Nun, and there is a murder mystery when her, her lieutenant is murdered. I'm going to sort of leave it at that sort of point. So, so really, so let's start with what were your first thoughts then when you started watching this series? Yes, that's a very good question, and I, I think her name is Sister Knight. Although I love oh, Night Nun, Sister- I, I want yeah. to write Night Nun. You know, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's a very good question because um, I hated this show when it first came out. I. Mm sort of went into it thinking um, if it is a smart superhero story, that's what I want. I am so starved for that. I I do not like all of these superhero movies precisely because they have so many plot holes and I think they're just dumb and, and I can't get into them. So I thought like, okay, 
Westworld is filled with plot holes. Westworld has plenty of problems. But if this is just a superhero story that is on par with that in terms of intelligence and doing something different, I will be so happy. And because of these Watchmen prequel comics and the movie and everything else, I already have been conditioned that it doesn't have to be perfect. Watchmen Mm -hmm. is already, you know, the bloom is off the rose. So that's how I went into it. And I was so overwhelmingly disappointed with the first episode that I quit the series uh, and came back to it later, obviously, but, um, and reappraised my thinking. But I think that first episode and, and really the first three episodes are unbelievably incompetently done. Um, And just to illustrate a few points, I mean, you know, the, um, attack at the beginning of the first episode in uh, 1921, the Black Wall Street massacre. Uh, I'm glad to see it on film. I mean, I think, you know, America desperately needs to reconcile itself with its uh, racial history. At the same time, you know, why is this kid in a movie theater um, while mm-hmm. his mom's playing piano as the city is burning and people are being shot? I don't understand that. I know what it's doing for the plot. You know, you want to get him watching a black vigilante movie. Um, I I got that. But, you know, there are so many things like that that just are not well done. And then when you cut to the present, your first scene is there's a black cop. You're introducing the idea of cops have masks, which I think is a stupid idea and ultimately goes nowhere and is, you know, reversed by the end. Um, And, uh, you know, and then you see the a white guy pulled over and you can see that the show is trying to riff on the current American racial climate in uh, with Black Lives Matter, you know, which I support very strongly. And the idea of watching a white person being put in the position of having a, a cop pull them over. Right. So this is a racial inversion of this common uh, experience. And then that guy turns out to be a terrorist. So what you have done is you have said, you know, Hey, uh, I've made you identify with the black who's pulled over unjustly by the, by the police. But then I've said, guess what? That black guy is a terrorist. It was good (laughs) to pull him over. You've just undone everything that you set up. And it was clear to me, the show does not know that it had done that. It was more interested in playing with that idea than actually knowing what it was doing and judging it and following through and having a message. Uh, what were, sorry to go on. What were your first thoughts? No, it's interesting because I think I agree with what you're saying about the first couple of episodes um, being difficult uh, and having an interesting sort of setup, but still sort of like, that. for, for example, the first episode, I, I had to take this whole thing as a book rather than a TV series because, you know, the first episode of a TV series is that you introduce the characters and they set up the mystery and you're off. You know, that's the sort of the idea. But the first episode of this, it gives you, it just gives you lumps of information. It's like, oh, there's this, and, and now there's this, and now there's this, and it was just like, I'm not, I'm not sure what this is setting up. Like, it's an interesting world, you know. As you sort of say, that you you get the nineteen twenty one race riots, and then you okay, that's again like a piece of history I'd never known about before. That's interesting to know about. 
jump to the present day. Okay, here's the status quo. And you obviously get, you know, the, the, the police officers wearing the yellow masks and they've got to have their guns released from uh, Central, the police station. Um, and then you, but then you find out that, uh, you know, beyond um, your rank and file, as it were, when you get to become a detective or anything, you take on an identity and a mask. And, you know, so you've got like a mirror mask and, and Red Scare and the pirate and obviously, um, um, okay. <laughs> I was it what Sister Knight, yeah. Yeah, and you get these characters, and I'm like, okay, this is an interesting status quo. So, what is it you're telling me is now the the mystery? What's the point? What's the story? What's the plot we're trying to solve? And then obviously adds in bits as you go along. And then that, but then when they sort of um, Again, you know, we're going to spoil the hell out of this. Obviously, you know, we're talking about it. So when, they, but when they kill, so when at the very end of the episode, sort of um, the, the the elderly black guy who you've seen sporadically throughout that episode kills um, Don Johnson, who's the lieutenant or whatever, the captain of of that police force. You like, and they're like, oh, and here's the mystery: why has he done it? And it's a bit like, oh, why didn't this happen twenty minutes ago? <laughs> It, the pacing right. of those first episodes just felt so sort of lumped together, uh, and it wasn't until you what you sort of watched the whole thing that, if I'm perfectly honest, and I, you know, I I really enjoyed it as a whole. I actually really enjoyed it as a whole. But when you get to the end, I was a bit like they started with the end and worked backwards. That's yeah. how this feels. Like they clearly it's like they were like there were four or five bullet points. They were like, this is going to happen. This is this is the end point we want to get to. This this and this. How do we get there? And then they created the story from there. And they sort of, in, you know, in many films, in many places or TV shows, they go, oh, they, they really didn't stick the landing on this one. In this one, I was like, oh, they blew the, the takeoff. Yeah. Because um, that first well, episode, to me, was incredibly weak. The first episode is probably the weakest of the whole show. I agree, although I think the second and third are on par. Um, I think they are... <laughs> Abysmal. I mean, I think they are just a D, and that's being generous. Um, I mean, even even you know, like the third episode introduces uh, Laurie Blake, and it's like mm. you know the former Silk Spectre, and it's like I remember this character. You have ter- first of all, why has she adopted her rapist dad's last name? Um, yeah, you know that makes no sense. You've reinvented Silk Spectre you know, as a hard nosed cop, like she is straight out of law and order SVU, you know, like I'm, I'm a sly, wise talking police officer. And, you know, and, and then there are occasional kind of like, you know, want to be deep sort of philosophical comments that she makes. And we're supposed to think that they're deep, but they're really not. I mean, my, um, my own take about you know, what you're talking about is sort of like the, the way it's meant to be a book is that I, I get that. And I like that they're trying to do that. And I think it's sort of imitating what Watchmen does in terms of the original, in terms of just throwing you into this world. That's an alternate universe, right? Um, mm. Things are a little different. They don't tell you right away. Like, oh, okay, you know, Nixon's still president and there are electric cars and yada, yada, yada. We won the Vietnam War, they don't tell you that. They just sort of throw you into this world and let you experience it and figure these things out. Um, 
I think that's smart. I like that. My problem is it's clear from the beginning this is not carefully constructed and that they do not have this figured out. And by the end, rather than feeling like this is a coherent whole and this was all planned out and, and you knew what all of these elements were here for, I feel exactly the opposite. Like this has been just a morass of bad plot making decisions, uh, but that had these tremendous highs along the way. Yeah, I know what you mean. And, and I'm not entirely sure I fully agree with, you know, the whole plot threads not... Because to me, it was that thing of, like say, it, I had issues with the finale, and we'll get to this, but it did feel more so like um, that they'd work backwards. To me, like, there were certain plot threads I think I was like, oh, that, I liked how they wove together and there were certain payoffs and things like that. And there are others that I'm a bit like, eh, you know, it doesn't need to be there. Again, using sort of like Silk Spectre, um, you know, Laurie as a, as a sort of a, in, in this new new way feels, it, 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 yeah, it, it, I would say that the majority of the original characters don't, aren't used as well as I would like, but, mm-hmm. I, but, the, but the new characters are actually really, really good in, in many respects. Like I kind of, I actually kind of like them. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if, it, I don't know, it's sort of like you say, putting her into that position, like that you get, like you say, you get information that, along the road that you find out that, so Silk Spectre and Night Owl, although they settle down at the end of, of Watchmen, and this seems to be a, an ongoing thing because we talked about it with Doomsday as well. This notion of like, you know, well, no, they couldn't, they've got to get up and, and carry on and, and, um, you know, there's a new a new status quo. So actually they couldn't settle down and they went back to vigilantism and they were captured. And, you know, right. uh, Daniel, Dan was taken to, and sent to prison because um, they obviously keep making these sort of um, less than sort of, you know, uh, obscure references to an owl being in prison. Uh, and she was then given uh, the opportunity to turn state's evidence and then join the FBI. I'm not sure that's how it works in real life, but fair <laughs> enough. That right. seems really re- that seems really iffy, but still. Um, and so she's become this hard nose. But again, that's the information you're given. It's almost like you know, she, for for the amount of backstory you're given for the new characters, and and where they come from, and and explains why they're the way they are. She mm-hmm. gets very little. It's like, but the character I knew in the book isn't this. So right. what's happened over that thirty year period? <laughs> To make her like this, I don't. I don't know. I want to know. Oh well, she went and did vigilante, and she became an an anti uh, an anti vigilante FBI agent. Oh, okay. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. Is that what I'm getting? Is that what I'm going to get? Yes. Oh, okay. Fine. I'm not going to worry about that then. Right. You know, it, I'm not. The, you're completely correct. But I, but I also think that uh, a lot of the elements of the new characters aren't really explained or don't make sense. Um, I mean, for, for example, it's essential to the entire idea of this series that police wear masks and this Mm. is, you know, you later find out, oh, this is because of this massive attack that happened, um, that they got the idea, well, cops should be masked because they were attacked in their homes. Okay. This is the stupidest idea. Uh, I mean, first of all, you cannot reconcile this. I know it's supposed to be Oklahoma, but, you know, the idea that a policeman would have to call their headquarters 
to get permission to use a gun is such a like right wing fantasy of what liberals want. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like we are in la la land as far as how liberal this country is uh, in this alternate version. On the other hand, they're like, oh, yeah, cops can be totally autonomous and just brutalize people all the time and, you know, basically be like uh, fascist cosplayers. I mean, who thought that this was a good idea? This doesn't make sense. And ultimately, it's undone by the end. And every scene, you know, every scene you have with them, they're taking off their masks because, of course, you want to see the actor's face and get them to emote. They're hanging out, you know, uh, Sister Knight is constantly hanging out with Don Johnson and going to his house. It's like, you know, everybody knows who's who. This should not be difficult at all to put together. How do you expect to do a job for 40 hours a week or however often you go in and have nobody put this together? Um, It's just incoherent. No, it is. It's one of those things. um, And, you know, I say... <laughs> often when we talk there are certain things where I'm like I, I just roll over it I'm like you've got to roll past that sort of thing and it, it is one of those things that it's that gimme because there's a scene where the, the police officer you know in that very first episode that pulls over the uh, the van with the, with the lettuces or whatever in the in the back he's shot and killed and so you see them uh, visit his widow uh, and the police turn up like they literally mm-hmm. stand outside his house. Don Johnson goes in and actually says to him, says, like, he didn't tell anyone, did he? Like, you, you obviously knew, but like, he hasn't said anything. What did they think he did? Oh, they think he was a whatever, no warehouse worker or whatever. Oh, okay, that's good. And then they, and then sort of that's it. They, they sort of leave, and you're thinking, what do people in the street think? <laughs> like, right, the, the, this level of police, like this, le- this, this level of police have turned up to talk to you about your husband, who apparently is a, let's say, a warehouse worker, was killed. That seems incredibly suspicious. Um, <laughs> and then, as you say, sort of throughout it, like these people have, uh, you know, their own home. I, I love the fact that, you know, like you say, um, sister uh, night, uh, night, and that is, and, and even. Um, mirror mask like they've basically got tantamount to like a like you say a bat cave kind of situation mm-hmm. and they've got the this this kit this get up and it's you know because it's not just a mask for them it's like a full-on costume like she, i mean sister night goes all out she's the one that's got the best um um you know although i love red the fact that red scare is basically sort of like just a balaclava like he can't be bothered because I'm, I'm russian and i'm gonna, so I'm gonna red scare red and red there you go um it feels a little bit like you say incongruous in the sense of, you know, like you say, they're trying to protect and serve yet. She's basically got, you know, she's got um, green Hornets, black beauty. that comes, comes roaring out of the back of a garage, you know, into traffic and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, right. <laughs> it, it, it feels, and then like she goes straight to and beats the crap out of some guy that she assumes is, um, a part of this thing, the Seventh Cavalry, which is the sort of the you know, the white supremacist group, drags him in for question, and they use the the there's all this other stuff, and you're thinking all I can think of is like this is this is what we have always talked about the problem with like with dread, you know mm-hmm. this the, this notion of the moment you're behind a mask and you can get away with this shit is the moment that you will do this shit, right? Yeah, and so. And- yeah, I mean, that's another thing that I thought they're not in control of, because clearly you're supposed to think that, you know, Sister Knight is, you know, 
the protagonist, right? You're supposed to mm-hmm. like her. Uh, I, I don't much like her, but um, I, I think she's kind of a, you know, a little bit of a stereotype of a kind of sassy black woman, you know? Mm. Um, but, um, you know, but she's she's fine. But, you know, you watch, and, and she sort of objects to some of the other cops' tactics. But, I mean, in the first episode, you know, like, part of you kind of thrills to the fact that uh, neo-Nazis are being beaten up, right? Mm. I mean, especially under Trump and, and Brexit, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, get those guys. Uh, it feels <laughs> good. But the flip side is like, yeah, they they torture this guy. They throw him mm. into a cell and you see the blood rolling under the door in this pathetic callback to the original graphic novel. And and you're like, this is terrible. You have just made the neo-Nazis the good guys who really mm. are the subject of police oppression. Yeah, and that's it. Throughout the first episode, I, I the... <clears throat> You know this thing of this notion of like police brutality just hangs over it from from mm-hmm. almost from the outset. That I'm just like, I get what you're going for, but I'm struggling to sympathise with the plot. And this is where and this is where I said the pacing's the issue because it's all this setup that you know at first I was thinking, okay, so the story is going to be about the Seventh Cavalry. Is that it? And it was going to be this thing of like, like you say, sort of like, oh, okay, it's about fashion. It, it, they're an integral part of it, but that didn't feel like the mystery because they're sort of like, oh, it's just this white supremacist group that we we're aware of. We've had trouble in the past, blah blah blah. I was like, that cannot, that cannot be the mystery. So for the first episode, all I kept thinking was like, they're just telling me again and again how kick-ass these police are. That yes. seems to be it. Because yes. there's the whole thing, and it's sort of like, how much more can we pull in? Okay, well, we found out where their base is. It's on a farm, so we're going to have a big shootout, and we're going to br- we're going to pr- uh, bring out more evidence of the graphic novel uh, and stuff because now we're going to show the police have their own version of Archie. And again, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but this is the, and this is the problem I had with the first episode. Where I was like, right, I still don't know what the mystery is. You appear to. Uh, you, you've, you appear to be solving this case pretty quick. Is this going to be like a case of the week thing where it's going to have an overarching plot? Is that what it's going to be? Because this seems like you're pretty much resolving this very quickly. Um, and it just, yeah, it, it, I was just sort of like, I, I, I'm not sure what this is supposed to be telling me. There's an awful lot of setup and then, you know, and you you get to know the characters, and that's fine. Like I want to know the characters and their motivations and that sort of thing. Like that's the point of storytelling. But I still wasn't invested by the end of that first episode. Like town to man, like to take away the the last five minutes. And if that had been, you know, that was it. I'd have been like, I, I like you. I'd probably said I can't watch another episode of this mm-hmm. because it it felt aimless. That first episode felt aimless. In a, in a agree. way that really, really worried me. Well, see, this is this is one reason why I'm not sure that it was all carefully plotted. Because, I mean, those first four mm. episodes are just kind of like, here's the next batch of things that happen, along with, you mm. know, a little bit of flashback or whatever. And they seem, they all seem very aimless. I mean, you're introducing a character in the third episode. If you really knew how important Lori was going to be, could you not have like had one scene with her in the first episode to just be like, Hey, this is an important character. Um, And you know, you're talking about like how many scenes are just really about 
these are badass characters. Mm. Can I just say all of the action in this entire nine episodes is truly horrible beyond belief. Um, you know, and, and I'm going to come to, I swear, I'm going to come to the stuff that I do like, and I do really, really like about this, but the action is not it. That action in that, you know, first episode is unbelievably incompetently filmed where they're like being shot by a machine gun and they're hiding behind this like little, you know, thing that's going to be shot through in a second. It's not even a rock, you know, there's so much that just doesn't make sense. And Sister Night especially is depicted as a ninja. I mean, she's constantly Mm -hmm. like jumping through, you know, windows and dodging bullets and, you know, taking down like 20 guys. And you think, when did she get this training? You know, I mean, and people complain and bitch about Snyder doing that. We have, um, but, and we're right to do so. This is doing the exact same thing. And yet Snyder is seen as dumb for having done that and missing the point of Watchmen. And Lindelof gets praised for this. I don't get it. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree. That first episode to me is a massive misfire. Like, again, I'm interested in some of the characters, um, but if you didn't have... This thing of um, uh, Don Johnson's the, the captain being killed in the last couple of minutes and hung and stuff like you know it's and they make the point of it's you know it's Lou Gossett Jr. who I've I've just got a, a soft spot for Lou Gossett Jr. for all the eighties seventies and eighties action movies and stuff he's done so the moment he's in I'm like oh I like him he's in it that's cool um, but then they they raise the question of like how did he do it mm-hmm. and that to me I was like okay I'm I'm interested enough now to know at least watch the next episode. And I think yeah. that was the pro- that was the problem when I by the end of the first episode I wasn't like I'm in it I'm this is me now I'm done for the you know, I'm in for the series. It was okay I'm going to watch the next episode and see how it goes. Right. And I very much I, know I, that difference, right? It's like you just bought yourself one more episode, you know, like you're on yeah. probation, you know. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. It was <laughs> that those last sort of minutes of that show, of that episode, bought them another episode. I'm like, okay, I'm, I can sort of see what you're doing. You know, you've now introduced something new for me to sort of to think about. You've got another episode, and and that was fine. Um, and it builds from there. Um, well, because you do can, get other elements thrown in. But you yeah, go on. Yeah, I mean, one you mentioned Archie earlier, and and. You know, before we get into, you know, again, there's stuff that I love. I really, truly love. But one of the things that I think is also an unbelievable just, you know, facepalm is the use of technology. And you Mm. mentioned uh, Archie, the the Owlmobile. And, Mm. you know, in the first episode, it's just in there. And it's like, you know, I mean, the show has this problem with callbacks where it does these callbacks to the graphic novel but they never mean anything. It's like they're stripped Mm. of their original weight. And so, you know, you're just supposed to go, oh, cool, they've got an an, an automobile, you know, there's Archie. And the idea is kind of, again, like, you know, with the pulling over of the white guy, the idea is sort of like a riff on how the U.S. government has given military surplus to all these local police departments. I get it, okay, that's kind of clever, except you think like, okay, why, if they had owl mobile technology, why would they just make like a duplicate Archie for every police department? Like yeah. you've got hover yeah. technology, make a hovering, you know, ar- armored personnel carrier or something. But it's like, no, we've made 
duplicates of the Owlmobile. And then there's the callback of they use a flamethrower. And it's like, oh, God, why would you leave the flamethrower in? Um, it, it's mind boggling. And then, you know, the plot throughout relies on all of these weird technologies, right? Mm-hmm. There's this like forget the forgetting device that uh, uh, is given to Dr. Manhattan. Um, you know, then the bad guys have a, you know, a, suddenly have a tachyon cannon. Where the hell did they get yeah. this? You know, I mean, there's so many just not just uh, um, new technologies, but weird and incongruous technologies. And it's and it one of the things that we talked about with the original graphic novel is that the controlled nature of its narrative that, yes, there's electric mm. cars, but everything flows from you know, Dr. Manhattan being here, right? Mm. It feels like in this, Lindelof did not understand that. And it's just like, ah, it's a superhero universe. We gotta, we gotta forget me uh, device, you know, why not? Right? Yeah. It, 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 I mean, later on, they have, they have certain things that they do. They, it, it, it harkens back to that sort of like, you know, golden age, silver age, uh, pulp comic kind of mentality when they get into the the Minutemen kind of stuff, and actually, when when it, you know when it gets into that that thread, when you get to know more about the origins of Hooded Justice and who he really is and that sort of, and you you see the the sort of the early what's it called is the, the the Cyclops kind of thing. Like weirdly, I'm more forgiving and I really enjoy some of that stuff. Like they've, when they've got that, um, you know, the hypno kind of thing that they've embedded in the sort of the cinema, uh, the film and stuff mm-hmm. because it feels like the kind of thing that you would have had in a, in a sort of a golden or silver age comic. So I'm like, okay, actually that completely, you know, I, I can imagine that this story or this plot being in a, in a, in a pulp novel. So I can imagine it in like a doc savage or even in some of those other things. I can, I can completely buy that. So do you know what? That actually works for me. But like you say, the sort of the advancement of technology in the present day feels oddly out of place, and it's weird that I'm willing to accept this in the forties and the thirties, but not in the present day. Um, yeah, and I yeah, think I it's because it seems to. Re- it's odd that it, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to represent the right things. But it's yeah. Well, I mean, I I felt the same way, especially about hooded justices, sort of you know, jumping through a window and, and kind of all of his sort of martial arts stuff. Um, I felt like, mm, okay, I know this is the same stuff, but it does feel sort of pulpy, like the shadow. Um, my one objection to that was the the whole idea of nostalgia as a drug mm. is so preposterous. I mean, like it, it makes for a wonderful couple episodes, right? I mean, it is a plot mm. device, but the idea that, they can synthesize things that give you your memories. Obviously these are custom made for a person and then you can take somebody else's and experience their memories. I mean, it seems like this would be like, how does this technology relate to anything else we've ever seen? And it seems to me like, could you just ditch the entire show and do like a, uh, anthology series about what it would be like uh, as people are paying for other people's cool memories or something um i mean, to- you, mean of you, this- mean, you mean total recall <laughs> yeah exactly well right exactly but with like pills right I yeah mean, <laughs> very good point but i mean like how does this technology i can't imagine this world having that technology 
again, this is the thing that when you go back to that, and I know it's meant to have been more than thirty foot. It's maybe like thirty five years since the events of the graphic novel, and so there's been advancements. And I, I completely understand that. But the point of the sort of the graphic novel was, as you say, that a lot of the technology grew out of the um, the presence of Doctor Manhattan. That was the point. Like you know, it grew out of that and what he contributed through both himself and people like Adrian Veidt. So you get Ozymandias, Adrian Veidt, sort of you know creating these technologies out of his partnerships with um, with Doctor Manhattan, with John. But then, like you say, you have these new technologies like nostalgia, and it's sort of like. It comes out of um, I forget the character's name now, but the the uh, um, Vietnamese woman, you know, sort uh, of true, whatever. true, and you sort of say, oh, okay, fine, but again, like it doesn't feel like it comes out of anything. It's sort of like just a co- convenient thing. Like there, there could have been, I think there could, there could have definitely been better ways that could have been a little bit more grounded. I can't think of it right now, but that would have made that a little bit more accessible. Um, oh, I agree completely. So, it, 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 but again, it as you say, it furthers the plot and it provides, as you say, one of the some really good stuff. I, mean, I, I actually really enjoy that the moment she's having those 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 flashbacks and it's that that part of it, and you you get to see the truth of hooded justice. I really enjoy all that stuff. I really enjoy that stuff. I think it's really cool, and um, you know. In many cases, I think some of the, some of that is more appealing and more solid than some of the present day stuff, in, even in storytelling. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I I think that stuff is is very strong as well, and and I like true. Um, mm. You know, I, I I also think that even in that first episode, Jeremy Irons steals the show. Is he mm. not just fantastic? You know, yeah. of course, there's a kind of like mystery of. Where is he? When is he? What's going on? Um, but though, you know, and they sort of like unravel uh, just a little bit, um, you know, each episode. But uh, boy, he's fantastic. He just steals the show. He's, I'd say he's really incredibly entertaining and he's clearly having a whale of a time doing all this stuff. Um, I would say, though, he sometimes appears like he's in a slightly different show. You know, he's sort of, uh, and I think that's part of the point, but it's almost like he's gone, I'm not in the main plot, so I don't care. I'm just going to camp this up like mad Mm. in places. And he's so, so good at it. And it's sort of, um, it is, it's fascinating. It it does add a, um, you know, an element to it. And I love the fact, like I say, when you finally learn that he is Adrian Veidt, that, um, you know, you, you can look back and say that, you know, he, he, he probably isn't Alan Moore's Adrian Veidt in many ways, right? But he actually he he still has that ar- he has that arrogance and you know probably some sort of like just a, some level of psych- psychopathy that sort of like is always been there in that character and is is so sort of um, you know is, is so entertaining to watch and I love his frustration as well. That you find out that following that initial um, hoax squid invasion, he has been maintaining it using a sort of a randomizing uh, um, algorithm to then drop little mini squids somewhere on the world to keep making people think about it and stuff. I think it's uh, yeah, it, it, that that feels like a continuation. That sort of feels like the kind of thing that felt um, honest and legit to the original work. 
Yeah, I, I was willing to go with that. I mean, I think that initially my reaction to a squid fall in the first episode is like, okay, you know, this is not charming or new, you know? Um, mm-hmm. This is what you came up with. But I mean, you know, ultimately, I think that uh, True's right when she says, oh, really? You know, you haven't done anything new. Um, mm. That this the multiple squids, like, it makes sense. And I and I like it better because it's pointed out that this is just a continuation of the original arc. Um, and and really, you know, a lot of, you know, our complaints about about Doomsday Clock and some of my complaints about these these original series characters in the HBO series are that they don't seem to be continuing on their trajectory from the original graphic mm. novel. But that's common, right? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. how many, you know, Iron Man 1 ends with him repenting, I'm never going to make weapons again. And then, you know, yeah. that's the <laughs> same lesson of the second movie, you know. Yeah. So there is this, you know, way in which characters usually just don't learn their lesson. No, it's just true. Um, and I think, you know, it does sort of, he because he becomes almost like a, you know his plot is a side plot. Even to the very end of the film, he becomes more of an observer than a um, than anything else. Um, but he's a really good, enjoyable presence in the in the show that that you know drives that drives at least my interest forward. Um, and well, it, you know, I mean, he. You're right. Except, and I agree. I mean, I I love the the fight stuff, um, but. Uh, but he actually is the sort of deus ex machina that wins the the final episode. That's no, that's a fair, that's a very good point. Actually, I mean, it raises that the finale. I've got some big, big questions about the finale. Um, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, that's a very good point because you have to use it. And that squid thing, the randomizer of, the, of dropping the squid comes up again. Um, and so it's, it's an interesting, obviously, you know, the thing that he's been told is, you know, uh, stale and at uh, uh, place actually ends up coming coming in back again. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'd, I'm, I'm holding off on getting into the finale because there's some other things I want to talk about. But really, the, this whole plot, this mystery of, um, you know, that, that, that eventually ties back to, and this is going to be one of the issues, but one of the things I enjoy as well. So it's, it's hard. But one of the things I had issues is, they obviously want to tie back to this thing of the 1921 Tulsa uh, riots. Mm-hmm. And so, and, but unfortunately because of the timeline, because they want to set it in present day, um, you get this thing of, of the character uh, of Hooded Justice as he, you know, was, uh, is as an old man has to be 105 years old. Right. And so it will Reeves, that's it. So, you know, he is Will Reeves. And so I was a bit like, why didn't you just set this sooner? Because that sort of seems to say that, uh, you know, they, they, it just becomes this thing then of like, okay, well, for him to have been alive in 1921 when this happened at whatever age, like he now has to have lived this life and he has to be 105 and still relatively sprightly at the end of the, at the, end of the show, which right. is fine. I'm sure that that's possible. But again, it's like that thing of like, I, I don't know why... He, why you just didn't set this 15 years after the events of the, of the book, the same things could have still happened and you could have done it in a different, you know, it just, 
it's one of those things that just felt a little bit like, oh, okay. You what you you know you said you, you you had this bullet point that said that's an interesting moment in history. It ties into the theme that we sort of want to lay out now. Now we've got to fill that time gap, right? And that that sort of like stood out to me. Um, but what it did do well was obviously it then led into the fact that him becoming hooded justice and his his work with the Minutemen and all that kind of stuff still being able to sort of tell uh, and, and work together. So that was that to me was okay but just this thing of him being 105 at the end sort of felt really i don't know it, it's nitpicky is what i'm doing but it felt silly um well it, i agree you know. with you and I, and i think that one of the complaints that uh i have along the same lines is that i don't really feel like i know what has happened in all of these intervening you know 35 years or whatever um mm. You know, obviously Robert Redford became president, you know, in like 92. Um, you know, uh, I don't understand why it wasn't 88 based on the original graphic novel, but whatever. Um, you know, it's implied there was a Ford administration briefly. But I mean, I don't really feel like I can imagine those years and what how the culture changed and technology changed. And that was something with Watchmen that I could do. But one of the things that you get at is that this would have been stronger if it were able to tell different stories or, or have episodes in different times, um, you know, where, for example, Hood of Justice doesn't have to be 105, where mm. we might see what happened immediately after the original graphic novel, where, you know, apparently uh, Rorschach's journal just disappeared, you know, um, or, you know, because it, it explicitly would mention Veidt's uh, uh, participation. But it seems to me, you know, along the lines of you calling for sort of more flashback material, setting it in a different time, that where the show takes off for me in terms of my experience watching it um, is in the fifth episode. So mm. like the first three, I just think are abysmal. I mean, just it's not getting better. It's not getting better. Um the only reason I even went back and watched it was because I watched an episode out of order because I have HBO on often enough, <laughs> um, you know, and then like episode four, like I like, I like true, you know, I mean, there's a few things in there that I thought, you know, this is maybe getting a little better. Then we hit episode five and that is largely flashbacks to, you know, um, looking glass uh, mm. and you see the uh, 85 attack, you know, um, and now you're focusing on a character. You know, and then, uh, you know, what uh, the next one is uh, begins the sort of like nostalgia two parter where you get uh, hooded justice. And that's an amazing episode. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I can nitpick both of those episodes in big ways, but they are really compelling good TV. Then the next one is a little weaker, you know, but it's focused on Angela. And the gimmick is that she's coming down from nostalgia. And as you come down from somebody else's memories, you experience your own. So that's the excuse for the flashbacks. And then eight is the Dr. Manhattan, you know, flashback, which is, you know, following up on the revelation of the previous episode. These four flashback episodes or flashback dominated character dominated episodes are for me, you know, all sort of like a minus you know, in that range and really, really strong. They are exactly what I wanted from this show. 
Mm. They are what I want. I really love them. I think they're really amazingly strong. And they're so much stronger than, you know, these ensemble like uh, pieces set in 2019. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, I totally agree. And I think I'm looking at the, the episodes now and I think, yeah, uh, episode five, yeah, that, that whole thing about, um, the, you know, the effects, the after effects of that attack and, you know, these people that sort of use this material, this, this reflective material uh, to prevent, um, you know, certain... Uh, you know, this, this it's almost like a conspiracy, this fear of invasion, but it also seems to keep sort of things under control and sort of things. And it explores his fears and his neuroses. I, I really enjoyed that as a, as, you know, um, as a character. And I, I, like you say, the whole, I think the, the highlight for me was the hooded justice stuff. I, re- I just really enjoyed this notion of, uh, of seeing these things of, um, you know, this, this early thing of this, this guy becoming a police officer, and uh, everything from you know they're given their badge and this, all the white guys are getting their sort of like you know welcome to the force you'll do great welcome to the force you'll do great and then he steps past him and then like he is given his badge by another black officer and stuff and I'm sure that's that's I'm pretty sure that probably is accurate or whatever but yeah. and then his you know how he's treated on the you know with dis- almost dismissed when he's on the streets and everything else and just this escalation to the frustration of it you know felt. Uh, like you say, it, it, just compelling. I was really sort of into it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and so the moment he becomes hooded justice, and you sort of, you know, you get this notion of, or you get the explanation of why he wears the hood and the the noose and everything else. Um, and uh, it, yeah, it was just really good. I just, I was just really, you know, really pulled into the story at that point. Um, and again, it's balanced though the whole time. This sort of because you it gets, I won't say dour, but you get some quite nitty gritty stuff. But then it's balanced as well, lovely, by the, um, the 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 slightly insane wackiness of what's going on with Vite. You know, like him firing his continuously cloned um, <laughs> yeah. uh, subordinates into 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 the atmosphere, just, just and then you know just for you find out why, um, and you know, and the fact he's really, he, he does this play, and then he's you know he's in he's on trial and all this other stuff, and it's like. What that is, it's just it was a really that's where it hits its its high mark because it becomes a really well balanced show, and I'm 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 in it. I'm really invested. So, mm-hmm. yeah, five, six, and seven is where for me where it really hit stride, and I was, um, they were like just really good cracking episodes um of television. Oh, I I agree a hundred percent. I mean, for me though. No, I, none of them are as good as as eight, the Doctor Manhattan one. But mm. before we get there, I mean, I like with the um, uh, the the mirror dude, mirror man, mirror guy, mm. as uh, Laurie calls him. Um, you know, I have these nitpicks where it's like, okay, that's such a good episode. I like that he's got PTSD. I like that you know uh, he learns uh, Robert Redford knew about this attack, and you know. Uh, all of this, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, losing his way, uh, losing his inspiration. Um, but again, it's got that material that protects from psychic attack. And I'm like, okay, another technology, you know. Um, I, I think the Hooded Justice episode is great. And one of the reasons it's great is not only does it depict the racism of the time and how terrible this is, but also that it actually makes a lot of sense to the original graphic novel where mm. we never learned her to justice's identity, 
Um, and, and it's implied that he's kind of, you know, um, conservative. Uh, but I think it is pretty brilliant. You know, we all know how much of American culture was stolen in one way or another from minority mm-hmm. cultures and black culture. So here you have the idea of the superhero was inspired, you know, by the clan, by putting mm. on, you know, a mask and of course, leaving the noose there, which is, you know, part of the original graphic novel, but is a little over the top. But, you know, the clan and this, this, you know, roughly 80 year reign of domestic terrorism that it subjected American blacks to, um, you know, that we that we have not taken accountability for in this country and have not reconciled ourselves to, but that that would have inspired the first superhero who was black and everybody was copying him and nobody knew. Yeah. That's all. Well, there was another moment that I was, I was so, it's because it's it was the little moments throughout this episode that I thought were really cool. Like the moment, like you say that when you, you know, he pulls on the hood and he gets the costume and then he sort of basically has to sort of, for want of a better phrase, put a white face around his eyes Mm-hmm. So that he's not recognised as being black, and I thought, you know, so that's a nice touch because every time you see, you know, obviously when they do black Batman and stuff, and they put the the, the dark, dark, dark pitch black on, so it sort of blends in with the mask and all that sort of thing. But the other thing, that the other one that really was that he is onto a legit conspiracy. Oh yeah, and he is collecting evidence of this, and he is actually because he's tr- is a police officer, like he is treated like a real case. He has a file, and he's collecting evidence, and he's making, you know, he's putting um, clues together, and so when he's actually, you know, becomes a part of the Minutemen. Um, and they bring him in, and he's obviously introduced to the press, and he's like, right, I have this to show that we, this is going to be our case, and we're going to do this, and he's about to do it. And I think, what's, the, what's the character's name? The other, the other superhero that, that ends up becoming his lover. Um, oh, shuts him Captain down. Metropolis. That's it, Captain Metropolis. Shuts him down, and he's like, yeah. yeah, 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 there is that. But there's also this crime villain called Moloch, and we're going to go after him. <laughs> and it's just, I was, I love the fact that, like, all of a sudden, like you know, he thinks he's about to get the resources and the backing of this of the Minutemen to take on this legit threat, and they're a bit like, "Oh no, 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 uh, no, that's too real. We're going to go after this guy because he's got a silly name, and we think he's a crime boss." And you sort of like, you know, it's that thing of like, they were never serious. You know what I mean? It's this thing mm-hmm. of like, oh, the, the, this, this how it's presented to the press. Because then when he does come across it at the end, he does sort of, he, you know, he tracks them down in. Uh, to where they are, um, and he's you know he, you find out that they are using a, some sort of hypno hypnosis thing in cinema screens to to make people attack each other, and he calls Captain Metropolis up and he's like right I've tracked them down I've got all this evidence I know exactly where they are and he's like yeah uh, it's not really our thing um, you know <laughs> not not much I can tell you <coughs> and it just sort of made me it just I love the fact that. When you go back to the graphic novel, and you do have Captain Metropolis trying to restart the Minutemen later on, you know he's a bit older and stuff, and you got like the the comedian saying this is a big joke, it's ridiculous. And even Adrian Veidt's got saying, well, no, he's he's got a point, but he's probably doing it the wrong way. It shows that actually no, Captain Metropolis is a bit of a prick, and you know he is he is all a big joke. So the comedian was is actually you know the comedian, despite the fact his his politics and his methods are probably further away from hooded justice, you know. We're good, yeah. Uh, we got test, test. Yep. Um, yeah. So to, to me, you know, the fact that you find out that that uh, Captain Metropolis 
is a bit of a prick, really, in this thing of, you know, that... So, really, despite their politics being sort of poles apart, really, actually, the comedian isn't wrong when he when he says that, you know, the re, when he tries to reform the Minutemen, that, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a joke, this whole thing, and, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. So, again, it's, it's the more subtle things like that that harken back to the graphic novel that I really appreciate, instead of sort of, like, you know, instead of seeing Archie blowing fire actually having a more a better understanding of how Captain Metropolis reaches that point of wanting to restart the Minutemen or the Watchmen or whatever um, it is more is you know it has a more of an emotional impact for me really well and I think that's another example of how it actually fits with the original graphic novel and informs the original graphic novel as the mm. case with uh, both Hooded Justice and Captain Metropolis the whole thing about the police not supporting him i agree you know is is a great uh point and it reminds me of this you know this thing in politics of being aware that liberal allies aren't necessarily going to be with you all the time and Mm. this kind of suspicion of them um that you see like in the movie get out you know where you know, there are these liberal characters who actually believe in black superiority, but they're still going to use their white power and their wealth yeah. to take over black bodies, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so <clears throat> this kind of like suspicion of the allies that, the, that you know, to be a good ally uh, means more than just uh, doing a little bit of lip service. And that's changed over the course of the last five years or so. I mean, it used to be that if somebody said, the right things. They were a good liberal TM copyright, all right, it's reserved. Mm. Um, and now there's a lot more ability to sort of question them and saying, you know, yeah, you know, you say you're for women, but yeah, we're really good friends with Harvey Weinstein. Um, yeah. And I think that that whole episode, uh, one of the things that really marks it is that it is about the racial politics that obviously Lindelof wants to get at with this show. Uh, and that is interwoven mm. throughout this show, but because it is set in an earlier time period, it doesn't have to deal with all of the mechanics of plot of the ensemble mm. cast and propelling the plot forward. And so it's racial politics are actually really clear and really good. And I love mm. it. And I want more uh, intelligent superheroes and social commentary. I'm not with the fanboys who are like, you know, how dare you make superheroes political? Well, they've always been political. Uh, So, but I think that in the rest of the show, the racial politics, you know, as with that early episode, uh, first episode, get undercut by the necessities of the plot. Hmm. No, I agree. And I think there's this thing of like, you know, and it would not surprise me at all if actually, you know, I said before about the bullet points that sort of listed the things they wanted. That thing with hooded justice, because it's so well rounded and it's actually so much. There's, you know, it's it, that's the bit that seems to me like well thought out, and I enjoy it the most. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that was the first thing they came to. If anything, that it might have even been the original pitch. Oh, actually, we can we want to do a prequel, and we want to do this and this, and then eventually goes. Well, we can't do a prequel. You've got to do a sequel. Go this way. So, you know, that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. It does seem that it was. Uh, it, it clearly something thought out from the beginning the hood mm. of justice stuff but let's 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 sort of work our way to the finale because um 
can you talk about the the Doctor Manhattan episode because that's you, know, you seem to, to not be as in love with that one, and that was actually the one that I saw most of it um, just on HBO as I was falling asleep, uh, and I just paid attention and I thought, okay, this is this is yeah, I've got a few problems, but this is really good, and I'm gonna go back and watch the rest of the show despite my feelings about the first episode. But I take well, it you weren't as in love with this episode. No, well, it's interesting. I, I find um, I am. It's one of the. It's, it, it's not the episode per se. It's actually Doctor Manhattan uh, in general uh, that I, I, I've, I've got a bit of a problem with. Um, so I, I like some of the episodes. So the other thing that you find out in this, in this flashback is with um, uh, Angela. Uh, Abar's sort of history, where she came from, where she was, you know, she was from Vietnam. That's where she was raised, and actually, Vietnam is now the fifty-first state. And there's all this stuff that goes with it, and they have a, cap, uh, a Dr. Manhattan Day every year. So you, you, you know, I like that stuff again. That you find out about the tragedy of her life. That's quite interesting. That you know, uh, and how she was treated in an orphanage, and the fact that actually the reason she was orphaned is because of freedom fighters in you know verticomers of um people that wanted america out of vietnam you know they'd been there and become the 51st state and all that sort of felt that felt resonant you know resonated with me I was, okay I, I get that that feels like a series of events that would make sense and the fact she's influenced um to, you know to become a police officer and stuff fine i'm happy with all that i actually quite enjoyed that learning her origins here's the, the issue i have with Doctor Manhattan, and it's sort of it's sort of solidified in this these last two episodes. Um, in all the graphic novels, in, in the original graphic novel and in this, there's this thing of referring to time. So, oh yes. So in the book, it's sort of like you know, it says like it's ninety, it's, it's whatever August fifth, nineteen fifty four, and this is happening, and, and now it's sort of uh, April seventh, nineteen eighty five, and it shifts, you know, and and now it's November seventh, nineteen eighty five, and. Fine, he could now see linear time, front and back, okay, from the right. moment of his creation to the moment of his death. That right. that is his thing, okay? Mm-hmm. So the two things I have a, a, of an issue with, so the other thing is, so when he when he meets Angela Abar in a bar, which I didn't even realise was a freaking pun until I've just seen the name of the episode. So the reason she's, because there's a god walks into a bar is the name of episode mm-hmm. nine, episode of eight, and right. I was like, she's called Aba literally for that pun alone. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> <You're>, no, <laughs> um, right. And I, I've only just realised that, and so yeah, that knocks a point off. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, so he he walks into this bar, and he obviously has this thing, and he says, "Oh, yeah, I'm you know basically a conversation with Angela," and he says things like, "Well, you know, you're going to tell me that you love me, and, and that we're going to do this." And, and she says, "Oh, I, I'm sorry, you know, I, I'm sorry about your parents." And I said, well, "I haven't told you about parents." Oh no, but you will do in you know, six minutes. Um, and she's like, whatever. And eventually she does. And then there's this other stuff about how, you know, well, her point is why get into a relationship because it's only going to end in tragedy. And, she, and then his point mm-hmm. is, well, don't they, don't they all? That's sort of the exactly. point. Um, and she says, well, how long will ours last? And he says, oh, 10 years, you know, this thing, it'll, it'll last this long. 10 years, whatever. Okay. And you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So he obviously can see this. Thing. He can see the end point of all this. Um, and obviously, there's been this other stuff of like when he left. You find out a bit more about what he did after um, uh, after Watchmen. He obviously left Earth. He went off to one of the moons of, of Jupiter and created this new life 
and there's a, there's actually quite a, there's actually quite a good joke in there. I think it's funny when she says, um, you know, he says I created all this life on this planet. And how long did it take? He said oh, about ninety seconds. And she says, oh, that's a typical male. You know, it takes ninety seconds for you to create life. Um, and I thought that was you know, there's little little jokes like that very good. Mm-hmm. The problem I have with is this fit that so Watchmen and Doctor Manhattan now says that all time is determined and that he is simply walking through the motions. Right. He Absolutely. knows that he knows that and, and so that that's so in the original graphic novel that is what basically creates part of partly creates his detachment from humanity. Yes. Because for him it's all inevitable nothing's a surprise. Yes, I know that this is going to happen and I know this and he actually acknowledges that there's a moment in time that he can't see past at the end of the book because he gets hit by the tachyon blaster again. That's what Vite hits him with. And so the, you keep having to introduce these things to prevent him from basically mm-hmm. saying, oh, just so you know, <laughs> this, this is going to happen, but you can't change it, so don't worry about it. Because I've still got to go through these moments. Like you, we have for me. In order for me to have that information, we have to go through this moment. So time cannot be changed. You cannot do time travel. We cannot change time, and everything is inevitable. Right. Absolutely. So he comes. So this is the thing where. So, so he knew, and this is the problem I have with it. It's sort of like so he knew at the end of Watchmen. Okay, I'm going to go off and create life, but I'm going to get bored of that because it doesn't do what I want it to do. So then I'm going to come back and fall in, but in love with Angela Aber. And it's like, it, it, the point the point of him losing that humanity was this fact of like he needs something that he he needs something to to, to do differently that like he he can't connect on a human a human level anymore. So for him to come back and say, "Oh, I want to fall in love," but he knows yes. that's inevitable. It it just I just can't I can't. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but do you know what I mean? No, I, I, I know to... exactly what you're saying. And and I agree completely. Uh, I mean, I, I like this episode a lot more than you do, I think. But I agree utterly. And the way I would say it is it feels wrong uh, to me that he, after the end of the first Watchmen, uh, where he sort of get, does away with his connection to humanity, he mm. decides to go off into space. That he, you know, first of all, I thought it would be further than Europa, but okay, yeah. whatever. Uh, and then, you know, so he's like, oh, okay, this didn't work. Instead of like making them less submissive uh, or less good, he's just like, ah, oh, I-, I did that. I'm going to leave this and uh, come back and hang out in Vietnam. Mm. You know, and then he's going to fall in love. You know, so Dr. Manhattan in the original graphic novel does have, you know, a series of three lovers and um, their importance to the plot. And he's kind of a creepy dude, actually. Yeah. Um, But, you know, the idea that after all of this, his final years would be based on, uh, you know, I can't keep it in my pants and I'm a sucker for love does seem like a total regression and, and really dumb. And your point about seeing you know all of time i mean i agree with the a deterministic universe i mean i think this is just right and this is the most responsible way of depicting time however that is one of the weakest parts of the original graphic novel this idea mm. that you know haha i've got a tachyon you know wave that you can't see past this year right i mean it's basically kryptonite um and in this episode 
uh, he, Veidt, it's cool that he says, you know, uh, disassembling you was in fact uh, my backup plan. Mm. Uh, I thought that was cool. But his original plan, I don't know where he got this technology from um, to have this device that would make Dr. Manhattan somehow forget who he is, uh, you know, only affect certain parts of his frontal lobe. I mean, it's such a, you know, silly idea. And uh, Veidt says, uh, you know what's in this box? And Dr. Manhattan says, I don't actually. Okay, so you can't see inside that box because that box has been coated with tachyons. However, you can see the yes. moment after it comes out in which you're holding it and the box is open. Yeah. You know, so you know what's in the box, right? I mean, this doesn't really make any sense uh, in the same that's, way that, you know. Yeah. That's, and that was going to be my next point, is what you say, because that moment he does, he's, you know, he says, oh, I, I don't. And because he, he mentions in it, oh, there's a period of 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a period of 10 years where I don't know what happens. Yeah, you, you don't. But you know what happens right up until the second that you don't know. <laughs> so you exactly. do know, you do know. Um, that Angela's about to insert something into your head. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And and you know that you're going to come out of this and fight some seventh cavalry dudes and get disintegrated by a stupid, you know, uh, tachyon gun that they magically have. So I understand that he can't tell when they have that conversation in the bar, I understand that he can't tell Angela how he gets the information. I mean, he tells her he can see time differently. That's fine. Right. But he, I, I understand he can't say to her, yeah, well, in, in 10 years' time, uh, I'm going to get shot by this cannon, and then um, a crazy scientist woman's going to suck my energy or my <laughs> life force out of me. So um, I'm not going to tell you that, but I know it's going to happen. And it's sort of like, it's the deterministic nature of it that's sort of like, I can't, I can't change that. That is right. what happens. There's nothing I can do now to change that. So I'm just going to live those events. So I... The moment he becomes Cal and becomes like to do a husband and, and lives with them and they adopt the kids and all that, that's like that part, fine. But again, I'm a bit like it's just this thing of seeing the future and seeing it all. It bothers it you. Just, it, it does. Is it because it's terminism? Partly, but also this no, the, the notion of him, like you say, him wanting to come back and. Yes falling in love and all this other stuff because that means that like it's, it's I, maybe maybe i'm just not my brain just can't fathom this thing but if you can see the events that are going to unfold and you're just like okay i've got to walk through these events because they they're, they're going to happen i can't check i cannot change the, the the um the events that are going to happen however the events that are going to go that are going to happen seem really incongruous with my character development from this point. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's the yes, problem absolutely. I have. So it's this thing, like you say, going off and then coming back, and I'm just like, okay. yeah. So I mean, I have I have less of a problem with just the determinism, right? I mean, because yeah. uh, I mean, I I think that is the most responsible way to depict time. Um, you know, there's no magic that says you can, you know you can change it and then it flows forward differently. We experience time in that forward way, but mm. that's not a physical property of time. Um, no. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, I think the right depiction of time, but you're right that the, the way in which it's depicted doesn't make sense. I think at best, 
the best way that it's depicted is that whole, we're going to have a fight. And she says, mm. no, we're not. And, you know, they end up having a fight. I think that scene is brilliant. And it mm. shows how that determinism, it's going to happen anyway. Uh, it might happen because of what I've said based on it happening. I think the the uh, sort of reveal of her saying, I need you to send a message to my grandfather. You're there right now. Oh, did I cause all this? I think that is fantastic. Yeah, those, that, that those moment is done right, right? Yeah, th- and that's what I'm saying. There are moments when actually it's done really, really well, mm-hmm. but in a grander scheme, yes, it's it's almost like like you say there are nuggets where they've gone. I've, I've got this. I understand this. And that moment, especially where, like you say, she goes or he he goes to visit her grandfather and explains that yes, you've got a granddaughter. And it's almost like, yeah, it's because it's a what the fuck moment where you are like, oh, oh, shit, Angela, you you screwed the pooch <laughs> on this one. Um, but the, the other problem I have with that is, again, that all right, those events were going to happen. They're bound to happen. That's what happens. It can't go any other way as in those key events. Mm-hmm. But, but the thing is, it's almost like, okay, but Dr. Manhattan is... <laughs> It's this thing of determinism again. Like her grandfather was going to learn that information anyway. Right. That's how you have to take it. So, does is Doctor Manhattan giving her that information you know, as Cal? Is that the only way that it's going to happen, or would he have learned it a different way? Or it's, it's an irrelevant str- question because uh, it, it yeah. can only unfold one way. And actually, there's some evidence of this from from physics that mm. uh, the universe seems to allow things to happen in a way that is consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so when you have particles that uh, are undetermined, um, the actual structure of the universe allows them to occur in such a way that there are no contradictions. Uh, this seems to be a property of the physical universe. So yeah. the fact that it's like a loop like that, yeah, I mean... You know, you have to accept that in a deterministic version of time. But where I think you're right and where it does bother me is, A, first of all, he could have told Angela. um, Yeah, uh, he says it ends in tragedy. What's the difference between that and saying, oh, by the way, those 7th Cavalry guys, you know, do this to me. Um, You know, he withholds certain things clearly just for the sake of drama, of letting the plot unfold. and then secondly, when he is attacked at the home, he knows the guys are out there, right? He has the ability to teleport. He can teleport her away. I love when he sees her go out and he says, this is the moment, the moment where I fall in love with you. I think that's brilliant. I mean, I feel that. That's fantastic. But then it's like that same determinism that you're pointing out with where it works. That's the moment where you say, I can teleport away and teleport you away. Why would you go out? My beloved wife is going out there to fight them with the gun with no powers. And it doesn't. And I just forget that I have superpowers, you know, so I get that it's determined he's about to get zapped, but it doesn't need to be, you know, the fact that it's determined doesn't mean that he should forget his powers. Yeah. And this is the thing of having a godlike character in a program like this, isn't it? That, that, you know, you you have to have these moments of weakness in it, or these moments of 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 
mistakes in order to make in order to make the plot work. Because this is a, the Superman problem as well: is if they are all powerful, much like Doctor Manhattan would be, because he's of his you know, the, the determinist nature of time, then actually, like none of this should happen. Because, like you say, you can look at it and go, "Yeah, I should, I should teleport away right now." Uh, mm-hmm. Or, in fact, actually, I should never have come back from Europa. Let's see what happens. Because the the, the funny thing is, if you to take Doomsday Clock, takes a completely different mm-hmm. um, angle on this because it actually takes a non-determinist nature because then he can be like, in the DC universe, he goes, let's see what happens when I do this. I move a lantern six inches to the left or I do something else. You know, that sort of... He has the ability because they don't have determinist nature of time. So it's... It's this use of Doctor Manhattan of sort of like you know he he he, it's the bit of a problem that causes with you know when you have a narrative show that's being told episodically when actually he already knows the outcome, <laughs> um, right? And yeah, so so I, I have issues. With it it's, some of it's brilliant, some of it is really well done, and I actually do kind of like their conversation in the bar as well. Um, Me and too. the guy the guy who plays him, uh, what's his name? Uh, Yahe Abdul Mateen. Um, is fantastic, like his portrayal of, of Doctor Manhattan and, and how he plays him is I really enjoy because it feels like, you know, they're never going to do the the way they did it in the in the Snyder movie, that level of special effects. But he brings something for me that I feel again, much mm-hmm. like I've said with some of the other characters, harkens back to that graphic novel and how he has a, the voice that I can sort of link back to, if not always the actions to that original source. So I actually thought he was very good. I agree with all of that. Um, but I, I think that the original graphic novel is an utterly deterministic world. Mm. Yes, there is this tachyon thing beyond which you cannot see, but events beyond that tachyon barrier only happen one way. There are no variations to that. He sees mm. uh, all time simultaneously and you cannot change time this unfolded precisely the way that it unfolded. It already has happened. Mm. Um, Everything already has happened. You can't change that. That's absurd. Um, That's a deterministic universe. And Watchmen clearly is a deterministic universe. The HBO show for all of its faults. And I agree the sort of like, I'm just going to walk out and let them, let them zap me. um, Doesn't make sense. But having said that, at least it gets that right. Mm. Um, In the Dr. Manhattan, um, uh, you know, before Watchmen comic. I actually quite like it. I think it's one of the stronger before Watchmen comics, but that interjects the idea of a non-deterministic universe in which quantum fluctuation you know, occurs and, you know, may an event may uh, occur different ways, right? In quantum physics, you can only talk about the likelihood of an event you do not talk about certainties in the same way that you do in classical physics. So, you know, it sort of plays with that, you know, Schrodinger's cat and all that stuff. And so, but I would say that the version of time in Doomsday Clock is entirely inconsistent and just a fundamental incongruity with Watchmen. And the original Mm -hmm. Watchmen would not have unfolded that way if you could just zap around and change time the way it's depicted in, in Doomsday Clock. So, yeah, uh, the HBO Watchmen series does kind of, you know, you have to buy certain things, you know, but at least it understands a deterministic universe. 
Mm. It it does it, it handles Doctor Manhattan a thousand times better than Doomsday Clock. There's no no. I'm not. I'm not going to argue that point. <laughs> right. It's it's more the nature of, of having a determinist character. You know, a character who can see time in in a narrative story. It's I don't know. I just have this notion. Maybe I'm just. I think the problem is maybe I'm just polluted by Back to the Future. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think that's the problem. You know, I'm like. Well, I, I love Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like Marty. Go back and stop this. Why? Why? Why are we? Um, so yeah, but. The other problem I have with the, the finale is there is one of the questions I have on the finale. I actually quite enjoyed the finale. I like the idea of the notion of people wanting to take his power. Because you would, wouldn't you? Like if he's the, if he's the most powerful person, of course there's people going to want to try and replicate that or steal it in some way. Um, and so that part of the story, again, it feels very pulpy in its nature. You know, creating a, a cage in which to capture him and all that kind of thing, and actually, again, it's a it's a fun adventure, pulpy kind of storytelling. Um, in in those final moments, but I, again, I like the callbacks. I like the fact that um, they go back to uh, the Arctic uh, laboratory and end up using the frozen squids as bullets uh, on yeah. on the thing. That I, I again, I I like the fact that that's actually sort of again like Schroed. Oh, it's not Schroed, It's a Chekhov squids. Um, but the, Check out squid. the one thing that the one thing that bothered me about the finale was this notion of taking Doctor Manhattan apart uh, at, at a sort of like, you know molecular level and taking that energy so that it can be put into somebody and that's what True is intending to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like the fact of Doctor Manhattan, Adrian Veidt saying. Um, when he actually admits, he says, you know, if she's to have this power, no one, no one person should have that power, especially someone so arrogant and, you know, who's basically got basically a psychopath should have that power. Well, how do you know? Because that's me, basically, sort of like, yeah. you know, he, he acknowledges it. And I thought, that's really interesting that he actually admits that, yeah, I shouldn't have that power because I would do all kinds of bad things. Um, but he, Dr. Manhattan, well, it's left at, Dr. Manhattan is killed. His his power is taken. It's absorbed into that that globe orb thing, but then that globe orb thing is destroyed. Right. And the one thing I was curious is like energy cannot be destroyed. Energy yeah. energy just changes form. Where did Doctor Manhattan's energy and stuff go? I don't know. I mean, you know, I I think. Would it That's not a good been... point, but I mean, you know, this whole like stealing the power thing. I mean, I really like oh, that moment it's... with with Adrian. I like seeing Karnak. I, I like uh, uh, True. I think True is a really great villain. I love mm. her origin story with how, you know, of course, Dr. Manhattan wouldn't even notice that this employee is gone. I mean, Vite yeah. wouldn't even notice this employee is gone. Um, I like all of this stuff, but the whole taking Dr. Manhattan apart and stealing his power. I mean, it's, you admit that it's pulpy and it works for you. I think like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I had the same thought that you did about like, well, what happened to that, that energy. But I I think like at that point, we're kind of like off the rails already. Yeah. But I, I think I had, I have a better ending than what we're given that I would have been more interested in. 
Okay. Because the the and shoot me down on this one, and even viewers and listeners, if you're listening, and you think I'm talking crap, let me know. But the end of the film is they've had this thing where eggs throughout the film, uh, throughout the series, even in the first episode, you even get like cracking eggs open, and they they play back again and again. And the notion in the final episode is that is it possible for Doctor Manhattan to transfer some of his biological matter? into something to someone else to ingest it or whatever and for them to then gain his powers and so the final final part of the series is angela finds an egg and she's obviously there's been a a, he said something to trigger this so she eats this raw egg and you are left with a moment to determine whether or not she can walk on water and you never see it like it doesn't you don't actually get to find out fine i kind of like that as a closing moment it's interesting it's a you know it's a the fact you don't get to know i like what I think would have been more interesting is a bit like there was um there's an issue of um, Miracle Man in the Silver Age where um, Miracle Man provides everybody with the ability to fly just for a short time so they can know what it's like. Mm-hmm. What I think would be more interesting is if this was to end with something either as good as that, or actually more tragic in many ways, Dr. Manhattan's power and energy field was blasted out. Destroying that globe actually just is a shockwave of this godlike power over the world. And it's almost like either people are then given superpowers, and so you're actually giving birth to a true superhero universe, and you've now got to deal with the thing you've been trying to avoid for however long, or it's treat you know, which is the, the miracle man kind of idea, or it's then treated as a second psychic blast event. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, all these people with no training and no experience see time instantly. Oh, that's interesting. How how would you then deal with that? If just for a second, even if it's just a, as a second, a bit like flash forward or whatever, you can see all of time for your your existence. Front and back. Right, right. How, how do people then deal with that knowledge? That, to me, would have been a more interesting question. Yeah, and I, and I can see a version of this episode that sort of begins with a, you know, sort of like flash forward. And, mm. you know, one of those people sort of hallucinating or experiencing time in, in different directions at the same time. Um, and where it's a much more mysterious, truncated episode. Um and let itself be more trippy and, you know, bizarre or philosophical. Um, I, I, I think that would work. I, I mean, I would like to see that. It might have needed more space than an hour. Um, mm. and, and one of my objections to it would not be to it, but rather, why did we have this stupid nostalgia thing if, you know, they were going to be able to experience time anyway? We could have just cut to that. Um, but that's, you know, that's not your fault. Um, but I'm, I'm fine with all of that. It just, yeah, it just felt the end. I, I enjoy the fact it's, it, the irony is, like you say, it ends up becoming a, a pulpy, um, adventure finale. Like, you know, it, it almost becomes a rather rote hero yeah. versus villain finale, which I don't think is supposed to be a statement, but. I could be wrong. Um, 
But yeah, well, it felt like that that final sort of half hour sort of felt like a bit of a letdown in that sense of like, oh, we're gonna, we're just going to fall back on as we've said before the punchy punchy shooty shooty of like this could have gone different. Yeah. No, I agree completely. I mean, I, I feel like it reverts to a very stereotypical kind of superhero plot. Um, mm. I mean, it really feels to me as if they're not even the same characters. Um, you know, we're just in this very kind of pulpy landscape. Um, I mean, it, it really felt to me as if it's like Lindelof uh, just, well, we got to stick the you know the landing here's what people want in a superhero movie landing Uh, let's do that um one of my biggest i mean again there's stuff that i do like but one of my biggest problems is all of i mean i like uh i think dr manhattan is a fascinating character i want more with him i you know he hides for the whole episode i mean the whole show then you discover him and get a flashback episode and then he's dead. Um, there's a lot of violence done to the original Watchmen characters in the show. The only reason it's set in boring Tulsa is so you can get back to the uh, Black Wall Street riots and, oh, mm. I mean, uh, massacre and connected to the racial politics you want to get at. You know, that's the only reason it's in Tulsa. I mean, I really do not want to watch any show that's set in Tulsa, especially not something on the cosmic scale of Watchmen. Um, that, you know, there's so much violence to those original characters. Vike basically has nothing to do. And, you know, one of the most offensive moments in this is when he is being on the head by Looking Glass. Looking Glass just hits him with a wrench. It's like, okay, that causes a concussion. Um, yeah. and, you know, and it's just like, ha ha, shut up. You know, I mean, uh, you know, that's the last we see of him. And the implication is he'll be on trial. But I think that there's so much violence towards those characters in favor of these new characters. And, and I like the flashback episodes featuring these new characters, but I'm not sure that they're as compelling. I don't know why it has to be in, you know, really has to be in Tulsa. And then all those new characters do absolutely nothing in the finale. You yeah. have all, you know, the finale, all it needs is Vite. Veidt just goes to Karnak and, you know, as long as you get Veidt to Karnak, he uses the the frozen squids as missiles. That's it. The other problem with that is not only have you kind of, you know, you're killing the most interesting character, uh, certainly from the original graphic novel, all the new characters wind up doing nothing. They weren't really important to the final resolution, but also in terms of the way the present day plot is not in control of its meaning and its racial narrative. Mm. I like true. I like, uh, you know, the, uh, some of the racial politics of the show, but at the end, ultimately true is defeated by an old white dude who's yeah. rich, you know? So at the end of the day, the hero of the story are, you know, I, I mean, it's and that's part of how conventional this finale is. It just seems to retreat to, um, you know, these these typical moments. And I think that's the thing. You know, it, that's the that's the the main problem I had with the finale was that it felt very atypical. Like you know, it felt like it could have been any any TV show. And if anything, it felt like a TV show. That 
that last half an hour felt like a TV show finale. It didn't feel grand. It didn't feel um, challenging or anything like that. It just felt a bit yeah. like, okay, time to wrap it up and here's what happens. Right. Um, I, I agree completely. And and I, th- and I even think that, that that egg finale, I like the egg finale because of, uh, you know, the way eggs have been woven through, especially mm-hmm. in, uh, in the uh, Dr. Manhattan episode. But um, I don't buy that he can transfer his powers. I mean, you'd think that would have been referenced in the original Watchmen. How is that done? I mean, a consuming part of an animal, a, a superhero doesn't give you like a, like an animal totem or something that, that superhero's powers. I mean, I'm not sure how this works. Uh, well, not to be crude, but he's obviously... Um, oh, know, God. <laughs> Well, no, but he has been sleeping. He was sleeping with Angela, but then as Cal. But then to be um, uh, going back to uh, Silk Spectre and, and the, the, his mm-hmm. lover before that, right. you're telling you're telling me that, like you say, they would have had some sort of sort of sexual intercourse where this wouldn't have come up. Where he's like, yeah, actually, uh, <laughs> <laughs> awkward um, conversation now. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, my my yep. sperm is gonna give you uh, godlike powers at least you know, <laughs> one injection at a time, baby. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I, and if we if we ever do oral sex, I'm gonna tell you, don't swallow. Uh, God, it, you know, it, 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 but that's the point, though, isn't it? Again, oh, yeah. I know it's I know it's crude, I know it's silly, but it's the same. It's this thing again of like, th- if I'm thinking of that, and maybe it's just you know my degenerate. Um, mind coming up with that, but I'm still like, surely someone must have thought this feels a bit silly to say that if you ingest a part of me at a molecular level, or, you know, I'm or a cellular level, you could have my powers. I'm so like, oh. yeah, it, it does feel it, silly. It's very comic yeah. booky and not in a good way. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, if you really wanted to, I mean, you know, I'm glad they didn't do it, but there's a there's a you know, um. I know you say it works in a in a, in a deterministic uh, time timeline, but you know that cliffhanger moment. There is a there's a there's an episode, or there's a there's a follow on where yet yeah, Angela walks on water, and there's a moment where she falls flat in that water. <laughs> oh right, the Schrodinger's um, cat of uh, of Angela yeah. on the water. Yeah, because you're supposed to go like it's a tentative moment, like as her toes get close to the water, isn't it? But if she puts weight on that, there's a there's a there's a possibility of her just falling ass over tit into that pool, and yeah. uh, you know her her grandfather coming out and being like, "What, <laughs> what are you doing?" <laughs> well, it, I don't know. It seems to me pretty obvious that that is you know an egg put there by Doctor Manhattan to transfer. Oh yeah. Her. I mean, yeah. it's pretty clear, and and I mean, so I also felt like you know it's going to cut right then. Right. Mm-hmm. As she puts her, you know, it just takes so long to have her stretch her. She eats the egg and she takes so long to stretch her foot over the water. You're like, oh, God, it's going to cut before she touches <laughs> it. This is the you just see that ending coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. Um, and my problem with it is that it doesn't feel earned. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like you have done violence to the original characters. You've misunderstood the original graphic novel in certain ways. And I get that, you know what you really care about is Tulsa and these new characters and Angela. Okay. That's fine. But you just 
you know, killed Dr. Manhattan to give your own character, have her become the new Dr. Manhattan. Mm. You know, that just seems a little cheap to me. Yeah. And again, it sort of, you know, um, yeah, it it just felt like an easy ending of sort of like, you know, again, that pulpy cliffhanger. Same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it just feels a bit like that, though. That, that, that they're a bit, and it, which is fine because it's a TV show and it's entertainment. But right, it 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 felt like an easy way out at the end. I agree. Can I just raise um, another another weird little objection? Like, mm-hmm. if the end of the Vite storyline is that he's going to be put on trial for the squid attack, right? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't if if that's where you're going with that narrative? I mean, there's a kind of charm to him being on trial uh, as an old man. But first of all, you've already had this kind of mock trial on Europa. Yeah. You're so you're going to be repeating that trope. Secondly, the end of the original graphic novel is that his plan is going to be revealed to the world if the new frontiersman bothers to read its mail. Right? Yeah. Um, at least somebody's going to know. You decided not to follow up on that plot. Right. I mean, you just decided that actually didn't happen. And then you got at the end of nine hours to the same place with that character. Mm. Doesn't that seem weird? Well, this is the thing, because actually there is actually um, the reason that the Seventh Cavalry use their use Rorschach's uh, mask as their sort of totem, as their sort of their mask is that no Rorschach's diary is out there. And many, many have considered it a hoax. It's okay. sort of covered off in like two drop lines because <clears throat> at one point they show a picture and they actually do say, oh, it's a page from Rorschach's diary. And then somebody else at one point does say, oh, it was a hoax. And then you obviously right. go, it wasn't a hoax because it's... But it's so dismissed that you're a bit like, eh. And I'm a bit like, even if it was a conspiracy, like even if someone thought it was a conspiracy, like it would have more traction than that. Oh, Absolutely. Well, and also, right, I mean, but then when, like, Looking Glass uh, sees that video, right, his response Mm. shouldn't be, oh, my God, uh, you know, my whole life has been a lie. His response should be, oh, that white nationalist conspiracy theory is totally true. Yeah. (laughs) You know, maybe the white nationalists have a point. Um, Yeah. And that, again, would be more challenging to say, oh, actually, wait. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting that they, they clearly have a problem with it, but they've got to address it, and so they sort of they do they they address it in like I think two or three drop lines, like littered throughout some of the episodes, but it's not in any way, um, yeah, consistent addressed. or no right no. So as a, as a bit of a wrap up though, I mean you know we've obviously talked about the two sequels, um, two Watchmen, and I think we've been quite clear which we favour. <laughs> yes. Um, so what were your final thoughts really on, on these two just final points on these, 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 these two sequels to Watchmen I think they show that you can do a good Watchmen sequel I think they both show promise but they both misunderstand in different ways the source material and the characters that they're dealing with you made the point about Doomsday Clock that um, that just having a separate issue featuring um, the new Rorschach would be a fascinating issue. I agree completely. 
that's a great storyline. You can do it. The strongest uh, episodes of uh, the HBO series are those individual episodes. And I quite like them. You can do this and do this well. But, you know, we all know the anxiety of influence of following Alan Moore and following a seminal graphic novel. If you're going to do it, make sure you do it thoughtfully and it, it can be done well. We we like certain things about both of these, but I just don't understand um, the ways in which both don't seem to understand the original. Uh, what are your final thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree with that, actually. I think I agree that these do prove that there is the potential to do an absolutely excellent uh, sequel to Watchmen. Um, I think the TV show is, is a, is a, a hundred times more successful than than the comic series. Um, I think the problem with the comic series is it becomes a, um, it, rather than a sequel to Watchmen, uh, that they that as they build it as, it just becomes a shoehorning in of of how important the DC universe is to everything, mm-hmm. um, which to me felt cheap and, you know. I'm not going to say it sullies the original material because it, it doesn't do that, but it sort of it, it cheapened DC for me in a way that, okay, that's what you think you've got to do. Um, it works okay as a fun, again, a fun superhero story, but that ending about the sliding timelines and stuff just, again, mm. falls apart a little bit. Not a little bit, quite a lot. Um, however, the HBO show, I think, did it in a much more interesting way. I think it really tried. I think Lindelof, for all its faults and all its sort of flaws, I think Lindelof really tried hard to try and pre- present something that is true to the, the tone and intent of the original graphic novel. I do wonder about what the original pitch was compared to what we got on screen. I, I do think that there is differences uh, especially considering some of the stuff that's clearly stronger than others, like you say, the, the hooded justice bits and some other parts. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say, though, is I think this is the TV show is influenced by the times in which it was produced. I think you mentioned earlier on um, uh, Westworld. And, you know, again, this made me think of other shows, you know, like say Game of Thrones or, or anything else that's come out as a, as a premiere TV show now has to fit almost its own formula. And although they're trying to be sort of like, you know, they have increased sex, increased violence, maybe some you know more highbrow thought processes, it's a TV show that's still trying to adhere to the demands of a mainstream audience. And so it can never really get to that really challenging mm-hmm. um, level that things we've mentioned, but like you, as you mentioned, it ends up being that Vite the the old white guy ends up technically being the hero of the day um and so it's sort of like you know are those things were those things intentional or is that something that's been imposed on the show by the channel and others i, I don't think we'll ever know but it's it, it does feel compromised in certain ways and i think that's a bit of a shame um i do think i'll go back and watch it at some point in the future and i think i'll get more from it again going back and watching it. So I think the TV show was more successful. uh, um, But uh, I still think there's somebody out there that could write a really good sequel to to Watchmen. But then there's a question of, if there's someone out there that could write a really good 
sequel to Watchmen, I think I'd rather have that person write their own book. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, um, you know, the, the, you know, I just want to say real quick that, um, you know, that sort of conservative ending to the HBO series of, uh, Vite, uh, you know, winning the day, uh, the old white guy, um, he's murdering his own daughter who, you know, mm. represents the future and a non-white future and a feminine future. You know, the future is, is feminine. Well, not in this universe. Um, and I, I, you know, I like your suggested endings to the HBO show. Uh, you know, I think both would have been better than what we got. But, you know, I also really, really wanted True to win. I wanted her to get that power. And the point she makes the, about how, you know, Manhattan has squandered this power and hasn't fixed all of these ills is absolutely dead on. I mean, you and I know that's the authority. That's Miracle Man, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I would have liked seeing True uh, have that power and maybe, you know, seeing her mess stuff up and uh, not agreeing with how she uses it. And and as you said, seeing um, a sequel that dares to go in these challenging directions. And I think that's exactly what I want. Uh, challenging but smart and um but then again as you say you know uh, i'd like it but wouldn't those talents be better used to make something new mm. yeah good I, I think i think we've actually dissected this quite a lot <laughs> I, 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 i'm trying to think there's anything i'm saying but no i think i think we've done it and i'll be interested to see what people out what you know what other people have got to say do they agree with what we've said do they disagree um you know, well, Watchmen is a off. settled topic at this point. Yeah. We have exhausted everything that can ever be said about Watchmen. It's closed. You know, it's been yeah. sorted. Yeah, and I, and I think you know, <laughs> I think I don't think uh, at one point I thought should I go back and do a further episode like focusing specifically on the graphic novel, and I don't think I will because I think that like you say, there's much more interesting things. There's much more interesting. Alan Moore books to talk about, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I don't think I'll be revisiting uh, Watchmen at any point. Um, maybe From Hell, maybe V for Vendetta. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we shall see. Um, but Julian, as always, stuff it's a, too. oh, yeah, some future shocks. Yeah. We'll def oh, yes, we could do the uh, uh, Ballad Halo of Halo Jones. Jones. Yes. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Yeah. That'd be interesting. That'd, uh, blow people's mind that would that's a forgotten gem that is that's something another alan moore thing that never gets bloody mentioned i think it's a tragedy yeah. um but yes well, i think we will do that at some point sounds good well so, this has been a lot of fun I, and, and, yes. and i'm sorry to rant and you know i know <laughs> i have strong opinions but uh you know it, it you i want to thank you not only for uh you know, encouraging me and uh, expanding my understanding of Watchmen. I think we mostly agree on this stuff, but also allowing me to vent my spleen because I was building up toxins within my body about <laughs> Doomsday Clock and I have now released them. That's what, if anything, 20th Century Geek can be therapy. That's, that's very much what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much. Well, thanks, and, a, uh... thanks a million, Scott. I, I always have fun and I hope everyone, uh, you know, follows you on Twitter. That's it. Yeah, come join us in the party. It'd be great. 
But uh, thanks for this, and we'll talk again soon. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Another great 20th Century Geek episode. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get in contact to suggest topics for future shows, or just chat about everything nerdy, you can email me at 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. That's 20thCenturyGeek at gmail.com. Or find me on social media, Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Just search for 20th Century Geek. If you would like to support the show, please go on your podcast catcher and leave a five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. It raises the show in the ranks and lets more people know about the podcast. If you want to show more support for the podcast, we do have an Amazon wish list. Just go on Amazon and search for 20th Century Geek and you will find a list of books that will help with research for future podcasts. And don't forget, we love secondhand books in 20th Century Towers. Once again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Mm.